Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Hey guys and gals, how's it going? Welcome to another episode of The Command Zone. I am Jimmy Wong with my co-host. Josh Lee Kwai, what up, what up? And we have a very special guest today. Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Marshall Sutcliffe from Limited Resources. Amazing. We are so excited to have you on, Marshall. We're huge fans of your show. Yeah, actually Josh is the one that introduced me to it and it completely changed my first sealed experience ever because I went in there like... I know what I'm doing. I didn't know what I was doing still, but it made me feel much better about myself. I love hearing that. Uh, that's, uh, we, get, uh, we get good feedback along those lines, and that's really the, the aim of the podcast, so uh, I always love yeah. to hear that. Yeah, if you haven't checked it out, lrcast.com is the place to find it. Um, mm-hmm. Seriously, even if it's, it's about draft, it's about sealed, it's about the limited format, but it's, it's so much more than that. Like Any format that you play, you'll learn so much by listening uh, to that cast. So I would definitely say check it out. And Marshall, like where else can we find you on the worldwide interwebs? Oh, um, my, the main place is on Twitter. I am Marshall underscore LR on there. That's the easiest, quickest way to, to say hi. Definitely. And you guys are awesome about uh, getting back to people that tweet at you, which I think is really respectable because it's the big internet, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, case in point, Marshall's on the show right now. And I think it's directly because of Twitter, right? Yeah, we, we hang on to Twitter. I mean, I, I found your guys' show and started listening after you guys pinged me on there. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like if somebody's going to take the time to say hi on Twitter, like, I don't, I don't really feel like it's proper to ignore that, you know? I mean, even if it's just, like, favoriting it and saying, hey, because like, sometimes people will say stuff, like, that doesn't really have an answer to it. It's just like, mm-hmm. hey, I like your show. Or, you know, you can just say, thanks. You know, like, it's not that hard. So I, I think that's really important. Yeah, and the low goes a long way, I think. So to cut to the chase, we are at PAX Prime right now, uh, and this is actually a, uh, a mobile experience because I'm recording from my hotel room at the West End. Josh, you're in L.A., and Marshall, you're at home. So this is uh, the Internet is bringing us all together in more ways than one, which is pretty exciting. So we have a lot of... <laughs> and also, like, that serves as an excuse for later when something's screwed up. Yeah, that's because yeah. Uh, we're not very practiced at doing this. It's called my insurance policy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you, I, I should mention, too, that you might also uh, recognize Marshall's voice because he is on the coverage team for the uh, Magic Pro Tour. Oh, yes, definitely. And Marshall, I, I'm just going to fanboy out here. You have one of the best voices you could probably do trailer announcements at some point oh, thank you i appreciate that <laughs> yeah marshall do like in a world just say that for me 
in a world. Oh man, I can <laughs> get you some work, dude. I can get you some work. <laughs> all right, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I, a lot. It is funny. I've never thought of that, and uh, but people say that um, on the show. They they it, it became kind of a running joke for uh, for coverage. Uh, they're like, "Oh, your voice, your." Vo-. It was funny because before I did it, I'd never, you know, I just don't yeah. talk to that many people or whatever. But uh, I guess it's a thing. Well, no, I'm serious. Like, I, I don't think I've ever talked about it before, but I do movie trailers for a living. So, um, you know, maybe we should talk after this because there's always those in a world guys. You could be one of them. I'm telling you. <laughs> I want to be in a world, Josh. I'm in. All right. All right. <laughs> so, uh, Marshall, do you want to tell us a little bit about your experience with uh, EDH? I mean, we know you're like a super limited guru, spike guy, uh, nuts and bolts. But, um, you know, obviously we talk about EDH and Commander. And I, I, I don't know if people know that you're familiar with the format. Yeah, it, it's funny because I, I don't think that, like, if if you know me um, and how I play Magic, you I think the assumption would be that I wouldn't play Commander or I wouldn't like it. Right. And and it I'll admit it took me a while to warm up to it. Um, there's and I'm still, you know, th- a lot of the reason why I like to listen to your guys' podcast is because you you help me answer questions that I have a hard time answering, and you give me a view inside the mind of somebody who. Uh, takes Commander seriously and, and has a, you know, really kind of understands how the format works from a bigger picture perspective. Because for me, uh, there was a few things that really enticed me about Commander when I first f- heard about it. Uh, mainly the deck building part, because I just mm-hmm. thought that was so cool that it was singleton. And it's like, it's yeah. this daunting task, but like there's so many cool choices that you get to make. Right. And then another huge one for me, which is a little weird, it was actually the nostalgia factor, because... I used to play uh, Magic, you know, air quotes, back in the day, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I had no clue what I was doing. I was terrible, and, but, but, <laughs> but I liked were, it. As were we all. Yeah, we all were, right? And, but I liked it, and I knew I liked it, and, um, and, I, and I was really, you know, quite enthralled with the game back then and, and building decks and stuff. And when you do that and you're younger, it, it kind of solidifies things in your head about maybe a time in your life or just like a... A feeling, right? This nostalgic feeling, like if you find an mm-hmm. old transformer that you had when you were a kid, and you're like, "Oh man, I remember when I used to," you know, it's like right. that. Yeah. And and I wasn't a kid when I played back in the day, but I was younger, and it still triggers that that same kind of nostalgic feeling. And getting a chance to play with those cards was really fun because when you look at Magic, the way it's set up these days, you don't really get to play with a lot of the old cards because yeah, the exactly. further the deeper you go back into the the formats, like if you get back to legacy or even back to vintage, the problem is the threshold for playability becomes so incredibly high that like, mm-hmm. you know, I used to play with Snake Basket. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's not making the cut in right. any, you know, <laughs> legacy deck or whatever. And yeah. so all of a sudden there's this space opened up where I can play these old cards and I can play these cards that like I really liked in limited, for example, that don't, again, don't quite make the cut for a competitive constructed list Mm -hmm. or these big cards, you know, I can kind of get my Timmy on and, and, you know, play some stuff that costs nine or 10 mana or whatever and, uh, and kind of do some, some big effects. So that was what originally drew it to me. Uh, It drew me to it. And after that, it was like, I kind of hit a wall because I couldn't figure out how to actually play. And I don't mean like, you know, shuffle and play, but I mean like, what do I do? Like, do I go to my local game store and find people? Right. Am I, right. Am I supposed to have a play group? And because my friends are like, they're just like, let's draft. Like, if we're playing, we're drafting. Do you hang out with like a whole bunch of like super competitive, like, you know, pros or ex pros or, you know, the group you hang out with, Brian, 
Longs and the John Locks, I mean, they're playing competitive magic, right? Like a hundred percent. And and I'm the same way. I you mm-hmm. know, it's it's like I mean, I I've definitely you know, gotten a little bit of really commander, you know, and I'm just like, no, it's fun. Like it's a real thing. Like it's really cool. And you know, I mean, look, if given the choice between drafting and doing something that isn't drafting, I'll usually pick drafting (laughs) and that's not limited (laughs) to magic. Like that's just (laughs) in general. But uh, to be honest, I slightly go towards that direction too, because it's always a new experience, but you know, in the same way that commander is great. I, I like commander because it's like, it, it's I do get the really commander. Why not you're doing something like this? But if you think about it, commander, is just like it's like a giant jigsaw puzzle with infinite solutions. Yeah, and you get to use those fun cards and try and do something goofy or tribal or whatever, and you can usually make it work. Yeah, totally. And and that's the thing is that like I think it <clears throat> it fills a a particular niche. Like the, I've had many times, and this is where commander's at for me now. I'm not one of those super obsessed. Like I have twenty commander decks. People, I have one. I've, I've just, I used to have two, I have one, and I'm just like, this is my commander, this is my deck, this is how I roll, and I take it with me when I go uh, to coverage events, and a lot of times uh, during coverage, I'm sure you guys know this in the field that you're in, there's downtime, right? Where oh, you're yeah. just like waiting, and there's nothing happening, and especially in Magic, where, you know, we cover everything we can during a round, and then the round the stuff we're covering is done and the round isn't over yet. And, you know, it's kind of like, well, what are we going to do? And so I'll sometimes be able to get a quick game of commander in with some of the guys that we work with, Mm -hmm. you know, or we'll be waiting in an airport or we'll be waiting in a hotel room for a meeting or whatever. And it can, we can just bust out our commander decks real quick and, and jam a game or two. Um, that usually necessitates playing in either a heads up match or a group of three, which Um. I understand most commander players are not super approving of, but, you know, we do what we got to do. It's yeah. still, it's still commander. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. Either, either way. So, well, it's really cool. I think it's uh it's great that you play. I think, you know, we've talked a lot on the podcast about how, you know, the subset of players that play commander, they don't get a lot of, um, they don't get a lot of press, you know, because we're, you know, most of the magic websites are covering the pro tour, they're covering competitive decks, they're covering the competitive formats, you know, and uh, I, I feel like sometimes we feel a little bit slighted by that, but you know, I, I totally get it, and it's totally cool that you guys play and other people on the coverage team play um, and, and understand you know that aspect. And I think Wizards has really you know turned their eye towards us and this and, the, and this group of people uh, recently, which is great. Yeah, I think they I think they face a pretty big challenge with that because how oh, do yeah. you showcase Commander? Right, right. Yeah. Like it's not it, once you make it into a tournament. It, the oh. format is terrible. Like it just loses oh, yeah. all of its everything. Like I've seen commander tournaments, and I'm just like, no, oh you can't. no, yeah. And yeah. I think most of us, you know, like, hey, listen, I'm never going to be a professional magic player. Like Jimmy's not either. Like, sorry, Jimmy, did I just crush your dreams? <laughs> Easy. <laughs> sorry. Oh god, guys. I'm but just you know, I'm not going to be a pro- sit compa- out of this one. I'm not going to play in the NBA either. But I still go down to the gym and play three on three. You know, on the weekends. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and that's sort of how I view. Commander scoring like three on three basketball at the gym, you know, pickup game. It's nobody's got a scoreboard. There's no ref. I still love it. Yeah, you know, it's still fun to play. I still yeah, work I on a, my game. It's a really yeah, it's a fun way to hone different skills. You know, instead of you're leaving mana up for two people to to react to, the three people. You know, you're trying to get much more complex things out. And reading someone else's commander deck they've never played before is so much harder than you know being like. Oh, it's like you have a hundred different cards. Like the most random thing might pop out, and it's it's fun being able to respond instantaneously, or or having to force a response to something that you've literally never seen before. Right. So I guess we should talk about some big announcements that have been made uh, recently. The first mm-hmm. was uh, an article that got released by Mark Rosewater um, 
it was called Metamorphosis, and it was uh, about the new uh, rotation schedule, the new way the blocks are going to come out each year. I mean, Marshall, you're really familiar with this, probably more than we are. Um, do you have a quick explanation for how it's going to work? Yeah, basically, uh, the traditional format that we've had for the last five years or so has been <clears throat> that the uh, there would be a big new block in fall. That would in in the autumn. That that's when the big new set came out, and mm-hmm. then that would be followed uh, by winter and spring by its two little companion blocks. And then in the summer we would get a core set, and that was its own big block. Uh, and that was kind so of that the was rotation. Like Theros, Sport of the Gods, Journey into Nyx, and then M fifteen would have been the core set of that little. Yeah, for the last night. year. Mm-hmm. And then you know now upcoming we've got Cons of Tarkir, which is the big one in fall, and then we will have two smaller ones to follow, and then M sixteen. And this was sort of the, the pattern that we had for, for a long time, uh, like I said, about, about the last five years, ever since they, they changed the core set. And mm-hmm. they've decided, though, that this wasn't really serving their needs the way they wanted it to uh, for a couple of main reasons. The first one being that the third set, the spring set, got a little bit overlooked uh, and was in an awkward position, which then made the second set in an awkward position. So they had to do some compromises with mm-hmm. the middle set. Uh, and, and that just made everything weird. Uh, and then they also had another issue, which was the core set itself, which was meant to cater to newer players in the sense that it was real magic, but it was at a lower level where they could grasp the core flavor and core idea of what magic is all about and not be overwhelmed with complex mechanics so they could actually play the game, but not have it be like a beginner's version. It was still like real magic. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, since it was pitched as a real set it needed to satisfy people like me who draft it 50 or 60 times right and that was pretty tough because you just you can't really expand it and so it ends up being kind of the same thing so the solution to all of this was that they've decided to break it up get rid of the core set as it is now and do a new big block in the fall just like we're used to and then it's companion set in the winter just like we're used to but then make a cut there and say, in spring, we're going to do another new big block, just like in, in fall. So now we get two exciting new spoiler seasons a year, which we normally we only have one, and I, I'm super excited for that. And then in the summer will be the companion set to the, uh, to the spring set, and then it loops around. The other thing they did is change when these rotate out of standard, which considering that we're on a show about Commander and I do a show about Limited, it's probably not this most right. super, <laughs> lim- super relevant to this particular group of people, to us three. But it is they, they basically are going to have three of these two-set blocks in standard at any given time. Right, it's an 18-month rota- right. rotation now, whereas you know the first set would have been two years. Yeah, and, and so it's going to be basically two full blocks a year now. That's right. Two full blocks, uh, big, small, is, is how they're going to go. Yeah, pretty... I mean, that's exciting, I think, from just the standpoint of, like, more variety. Yeah. I think for a flavor standpoint, it's really exciting, too, because people always clamor for planes that we haven't revisited in a long time. And, you know, it's there's a lot of nostalgia there, too. Like, oh, man, I wish I knew what happened to so-and-so on this plane. Right. And more just big blocks uh, every year means that we're going to, you know, get to travel the planes a bit more, which is, I think, a lot of fun, just also in terms of card variety, hopefully. Well, a certain, uh, a certain planes come with certain mechanics, and if you've built your commander deck around a certain mechanic, then it, it would be nice to have that block come back uh, just to give you some more possible playables for your commander deck. So I can see that being an upside. Yeah, exactly. I like it, I, and I like the I like the two act nature of the big small. Like I like the three act ones, you know, where they would usually like set the stain, create a problem, have some type of resolution. Now yeah. it's going to be like 
set the scene and create the problem, I think, and then here's what happened. I, I think right. we're just going to get yeah. this sort of one-two punch that probably fits the, the modern audience a little bit better. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like if R&D felt that, you know, flavor-wise, like you have a nice three-act structure with three blocks, but if R&D felt that they had to stretch their sem- themselves too thin over three and would be better off making a better game over two, then I trust those guys. I mean, they've been doing it for 20-plus years. Yeah, I trust them too. That, that, that's the thing. Ultimately, I'll always throw in my two cents uh, about the decisions that R&D makes, but their track record is unbelievably good. And it's just one yeah. of those things where, like, yeah, I, I have my ideas, and I'm pretty knowledgeable about this stuff. I mean, I'm friends with people in R&D, so I get a chance to hear it from them. I can ask them questions directly, like, hey, when you guys made this one card, what were you thinking? And they'll, and they'll tell me. Mm-hmm. So I really do have, like, a pretty good understanding of how things go. But if I don't get it, my response at this point is to say, Okay, I don't understand it, but I'm going to wait because I'm going to assume that they're right, <laughs> right <laughs> until yeah. proven otherwise. I mean, this is a company that works like a year, two years in the future yeah. for sets. They have to have so much foresight. I got to trust them. I, I think you know. To me, the changes are, are overall very positive. You know, I have two sort of little laments about it, and the first one is that I really enjoyed the core sets and I really enjoyed drafting them. Um, you know, that's not, it doesn't have to do with EDH exactly. Uh, I didn't find them particularly any better or worse than a normal set would be. So it won't hurt the commander EDH part of me, but the drafting part of me is a little bit sad. And then um, I was, you know, I started starting to get excited about other formats and I was thinking about maybe jumping into standard. And then, you know, it's like, uh, I was already like sort of hesitant because I don't, I think something a lot of us EDH commander casual players you know, one of the things we like about our format is that if I have a card, I can play it. Like, I don't have to worry about whether it's legal right now or whether it's going to be legal in six months from now or whatever. And, and you know, I was willing to sort of ignore that part of it and jump into standard. But now it's like, uh, cause of Tarkir, in my mind, I was like, okay, if I jump in now, I have two years with these cards. You know, that's from a value perspective. It's, it's you know, it's satisfactory. I, I can deal with that. But now it's 18 months. It's like they just took off 25% of how long I'm going to be able to use those cards in standard. And it's like, I don't know, maybe I'll just stick with Commander. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I think, uh, you know, like our two shows have in common, right? I mean, we're really on complete opposite ends of the spectrum as far as, like, you guys are dealing with, like, the most, like, the oldest cards, the singleton 100-card uh-huh. decks, yeah. and we're dealing with, like, 40-card decks of only the newest <laughs> possible cards in this small subset. You're dealing with yeah. a massive card pool of, like, every magic card ever almost, and, mm-hmm. you know, we're dealing with, like, this very small subset. But we, ha- what we really have in common as far as what we're approaching is that we're trying to avoid that cycle, right? Like, right, as a yeah. limited player, I don't want to get caught up in that whole thing of, you know, constantly needing to ca- catch up on what cards are coming out and which ones I don't get to play with anymore and managing a collection all the time. Like these are right. things that I am willing to do and I, and I, and I do more than, than most, but I'm not happy about it. Right. And right. also yeah, there's exactly. this arms race thing. I've always wondered that actually for commander, maybe you guys could answer that for me is, you know, one thing we get uh, on feedback for the podcast from people that have jumped over to limited from playing some form of constructed is that mm-hmm. they were never comfortable with how they started playing with their friends and it was fun. And then one of their friends got a little more into it than they did and started right. buying play sets of, of yeah, singles totally. out of the box and started kind of crushing them. And there's always this this new player feeling of like, well, it only matters if you have the money and the good cards because if yeah, you don't, it feels you like whoever win. spends the most money is just yeah. going to start winning. Uh, I think, you know, for, for modern and for standard and, you know, probably legacy, although that's a whole, you got to be willing to spend a lot of money just to play that anyway. But, 
it's totally a problem. But the thing about Commander is that it's sort of self-policing in that way. And, mm -hmm. you know, we've talked about it a lot, how politics are such an important part that, like, the better cards often don't win in Commander because, you know, if you're playing in a game with four people, then if you just pull out, like, some awesome cards, the other three people can just kill you. Yeah, or at least focus on you. And it's yeah. great, like, you're, you're, however expensive your card may be, if someone is playing blue, they can spend the counter spell. And, you know, it's like... If people know that's coming, it's like it's it's much better in a one on one format. It's like, oh darn, well your deck's just better. It's got, you know, play sets of this that I don't have. It's more efficient, et cetera. But in a four player group, it there is so much more variance and so much more of a chance for someone else to just be like, no, you know what? This time you don't get to do that. And it just like it does police itself in that way, which is nice. And the, the singleton nature plus hundred cards also helps a lot. I'm sure. Yeah, true. But yeah. I mean, you could build commander decks that in one on one would just be ridiculous. But you know. And, and I know you play a lot of one-on-one, -on -one, Marshall, so I'm sorry because the arms race is probably a lot bigger in one-on-one. -on -one. Although in one-on-one, -on -one, there's less of a chance that one person's going to vastly outspend. You know, the more mm -hmm. people your group is, if you start having six, seven, eight, then there's just a good chance that one person's going to go crazy just because there's more people, right? There's a higher chance like that somebody yeah. has that gene. Um, <laughs> that gene? I think we're all afflicted by that Well, I know genetic. Jimmy has it, and I sort of have it. Uh, I mean, I, I do way. too, but it's for yeah. cool stuff. Like, Yeah, exactly. I try to make it's... my commander deck look like visually appealing to me. Yeah, yeah actually, yeah. we should take a side second and, and mention that you are a very multi-talented person. You do alters on your cards, and they all look amazing. I was browsing through your uh, the Tumblr or the blog for it, and it was great. Well, oh, thank you. Yeah, we're gonna have to put up a link uh, in the show notes. Well, definitely to your commander. To uh, we'll talk about later. We're gonna do a spotlight on Marshall's deck, which is Animar, and he did an alter on that. That's just sick. Yeah. It's it's awesome. So yeah, not to mention those colors are definitely gonna be highlighted heavily in Cons of Tarkira, which is very exciting. I am so scared to even touch my cards because I'm the horriblest, worst artist ever, and I just would like uh, it's like a, oh, an expensive card or even moderately expensive, like. I think I just have to rip it up after I was done, so I just don't touch them. <laughs> There's a whole Tumblr and blogs devoted to bad alters of magic cards, so if you want to see the true <laughs> worst alters. Oh, I could be an all-star on that page. Yeah, I, right. I've seen some of those. There's some really good ones. <laughs> All right, well, maybe we'll have to link that in the show notes, too, just to yeah. you know, point-counterpoint your awesome stuff, Marshall. Um, well, also, uh, some other awesome announcements came out last night. I mean, Marshall, you were at the party at, at PAX um, where they were announcing uh, a lot of things about Concept Arc here. And, uh, you know, I'm sure every Commander EDH player is really excited because Fetchlands, uh, the allied Fetchlands from Onslaught are coming back. Yes. Um, how did the room react when, when that was announced last night, Marshall? Uh, they screamed. <laughs> like enjoy they really did it was a huge reaction i mean you know the place was pretty rowdy by that time uh you know the right. drinks had been flowing uh -huh. and it was getting a little later in the night it was you know i don't know 10 30 ish or something like that and when they put up the picture uh on the screen there was like this half second of like wait a minute and then, because it's new artwork, it, it was a flooded right, strand right. that they put up right. first. And, you know, and people are like, and then it was like, yeah! And, you know, people were, you know, like arms in the air, just cheering. And they cycled through all, all of the fetches that they're going to be putting into cons. And uh, the reaction was monumental. I was like, wow. Like, people are super excited for these. I yeah, am I mean, super excited. I mean, I was cheering by myself when I read it. Uh, I think actually it was over your Twitter, Marshall, where I first saw it. So, um, yeah, I was... I was stoked. I am stoked. I was I mean, all for over good it. reason. Yeah, it's 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 a. I think it's a really smart move by the development team too, because 
it, choosing when and not to reprint stuff is must be such a headache for <laughs> to figure out you know when's the perfect time to do this but i think it's great you know with the new announcement twos of the the switching in standard i think it will help a lot of people either go into standard if they're thinking about it or at least you know have or standard and modern because they're both played in both and it's like it's nice just like good job wizards you did you obviously made the right choice because an entire room of people screamed in joy <laughs> Yeah, they're going to blow it out of the water with this set, too. I mean, they're going to sell so much of this thing. Yeah, it looks sick. Um, and it's super relevant for Commander EDH because, well, for one thing, I think all good Commander players know, like, the land base, uh, you know, it's something that gets ignored at your peril. And, you know, it can really make your deck exponentially better. And then also, in our format, we can play under uh, Underground Sea. We can play Badlands. We can play, and the fetches will go get those, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. So... I mean, it's huge for us. Like, it's huge for the, the commander decks. Like, and those were expensive cards. Like, oh, all yeah, the fetches were, were like hard to get. Expensive, hard to get a hold of. You know, it was just hard to justify getting those for your commander deck if you didn't already just happen to have them from when you played. Uh, yeah. So, man, it's plus it's, the inner Timmy in me is like, I would much rather buy a sweet creature that costs nine mana cost. Yeah, exactly. Land. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so it's just great. It's going to be great for our, for for all the Commander EDH players. You know, you're going to want all, multiples of all these fetches for uh, your different decks, but uh, it's really going to help your mana base, which is going to help your deck uh, get a lot better. Yeah, definitely. And then um, another, we don't want to go through every card that was spoiled, but I think we need to talk about Sarkin, right? Oh yeah, this card is great. I'm really a huge fan of what they did uh, with this Planeswalker because you know, guys, Sarkin he gets to be a dragon. <laughs> He did it. He did it. He did it. <laughs> I, wait, wait. Sarkin and dragons? Is there a connection there? I have no idea. Nobody's ever talked about that before. Oh, it's it's. That lore. was sarcasm for the sarcastic name. Oh, that was sarcasm. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> uh, let me read out Sarkin, the dragon speaker. Anyway, for uh, those that don't know, it's uh, he's a planeswalker. Comes in with four loyalty points for three and two red. So five total, and his plus one is until end of turn, Sarkin the Dragon Spirit becomes a legendary four-four red dragon creature with flying, indestructible, and haste. And he does not lose loyalty when he's not a planeswalker, which is words we've never seen <laughs> on a planeswalker. His minus three is Sarkin the Dragon Spirit does four damage to target creature, and his minus six, uh, which is only two away from his loyalty, so it doesn't seem like it's too hard to get to, is you get an emblem with at the beginning of your draw step, draw two additional cards, and at the beginning of your end step, discard your hand. Interesting. Interesting. Definitely, I think, a later game play when you are going to be able to draw and play those three cards, hopefully. Uh, uh, or a lot of decks that, that, that want cards in their yard, so you mm -hmm. know, it, it would be awesome in those decks because you just, you know, if you can't play it, you're jumping it in your yard, and, and if you've got, you know, Dredge or, or some other graveyard recursion, it could be, uh, you know, that could just be as good as being in your hand, so you're just continuously dumping lots of stuff in there. Yeah, definitely. Great. Yeah. Uh, and for Commander, I think this is great just because you're always trying to draw more cards and anytime you can draw more cards than your opponent in commander especially you're uh, you're way ahead this card seems sweet yeah, yeah. And well it's gonna be sweet and limited i'll tell you that oh my yes gosh. yes it will <laughs> i mean a 4-4 flying uh haste indestructible for five isn't bad no yeah <laughs> which is what you get because you can do that the turn you play them and just attack for four yeah just, yeah for free yeah or yeah. just bolt someone for four <laughs> Which is pretty solid. So he's got, he's he's got durability. I'll say that much. Pretty cool card. A lot of other cool cards were spoiled. Um, again, you can find those. Uh, we're not going to talk about all of them, but uh, yeah, some well, really a lot cool of the um, 
the big legendary creatures, especially. And I think those, the leaders of the clans, are definitely going to be a lot of new commander decks will be popping up around that for sure. Yeah, especially since you know, yeah, there's going to be at least one legendary leader from each clan, so that's at least five potential new commander decks. Um, I guess we could talk about. Uh, there was one uh, Narset uh, Enlightened Master was spoiled. She is uh, Jeskai, which is blue, red, white, and three, so six total. Uh, she's a three-two human monk, first strike and hexproof. And she basically does the same thing that Jaleva does, which uh, we talked about a few episodes back, which is whenever Narset Enlightened Master attacks, exile the top four cards of your library. Until end of turn, you may cast non-creature cards exiled with Narset this turn without paying their mana costs. So it's not the exact same as Jaleva. It's just similar. Uh, yeah, I'd argue that she's actually better than Jaleva because if Jaleva gets taken out or blinked, uh, the cards that you exile when you cast her just never come back. Uh, in this case, you get to at least know that the top four cards are going to be the ones that you can play, and you don't need to worry too much about you know your person getting disappeared and not being able to use. Oh, them. just because she's hexproof. Yeah, and she also it, they, she exiles when she attacks, which makes a big difference. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can do uh, things that aren't instants and sorceries, which Jaleva can only do instants and sorceries. So if you got like a big artifact or you know creature in there, you can play them, right? Oh yeah. What's that enchantment? That oh, non creature. Sorry, non creature. That. The blue enchantment that you can just play cards for free, essentially. Yeah, uh, omniscience. Omniscience. Yeah, you can yeah. shoot yeah. that out with Narset, which is pretty uh, insane insanity. Okay, so you get her out. You do divining top. You put the omniscience on top of your library. Then you attack with her, and you play omniscience for free. And then all your spells are free for the rest of the game. Yeah, you kind of just win at that point. I think. I want to do that. That sounds good. Yeah, sign me up for that. Wherever the list is, put me on. Also, yeah. make sure somebody takes three commander damage. Don't don't forget. Oh, right, right. Because with omniscience out, the three commander damage is so important. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's another ticking time bomb. It's like your own mini Caustic Tar, but just with Narset instead. She is yeah. much more expensive than Jaleva, though. Jaleva's only four mana, and Jaleva flies. So, you know, it's possible Narset will just die when you attack her. Yeah, she's hexproof, but a 5-5 five, five just straight kills her. Um, yeah. So and she is she is a bit expensive to get out as well, especially yeah. if you kill her once. Then she's eight. Oof. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, true. Uh, this argument sort of moves into our main topic, I suppose. Which uh, this week we want to talk about card evaluation, um, which is uh, it's a big topic. Um, I know, Marshall, you guys mentioned really recently covered um, a form of card evaluation uh, with with the lens of limited uh, on your show, and um, I don't know. Do you want to just kind of talk about what card evaluation is from a basic level? Yeah, so card evaluation is probably the most important thing for a limited player uh, because mm -hmm. the thing that we're faced with constantly uh, are new cards, right? It's mm -hmm. like, oh, a new set came out, and now there's going to be a whole new environment and a whole new set of problems for us to solve, and that's really you know, at the core of why limited is great. And if you – basically, <clears throat> it's one of those situations where when a new set comes out – you, it's on you to figure out what's good and what's not. Now, you can read uh, other people's reviews. You can listen to our podcast and listen to what we say. Uh, you can read the column I write and say, oh, okay, uh, you know, Marshall says this card's good, so this card's good. But that doesn't really help you, right? Uh, you know, the key yeah. is to develop tools, techniques, and experience for yourself so that you can look at a card <clears throat> and then you can figure out, well, Based on the things that I know, this card is good. And then you can look at, like, 
LSV's, uh, you know, review and go, oh, he liked it too. I'm, I'm probably pretty close to being correct here that, that this mm-hmm. is the right way to go. Yeah. Basically, what you're trying to do is you're trying to break down a card to its most base elements and figure out how that matches up with the things that it's going to be playing against. Uh, th- those, that's sort of the core tenets of what, how to evaluate a card. Now, magic's mm-hmm. a big game. Right. I mean, there's so many different right. things that you have to try to keep in mind when you're evaluating cards. Um, you have to keep <clears throat> things in mind, like if it's a creature, you have to keep its power and toughness in relation to its converted mana cost. We call that the vanilla test. Uh, then you have to throw in things which we call the French vanilla test, where if it gets flying or first strike or, you know, some other type of abilities tacked onto it, if it's not a creature, then it depends on what the format is that you're playing. Like if you're playing limited and it's not a creature, well, then it better pull its weight because creatures are the most important thing for limited. Right. So it better kill a creature or, you know, make the game a lot easier for you or draw you cards or, or whatever it is. You have to right. factor in things like synergy, card evaluation. Uh, you, we, we do a thing on the show called um, Quadrant 3, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And there's a million different tools that we've developed, and, and we continue to to help people evaluate it for limited. Uh, for you guys, it's a completely different ball game. Um, just just because a card, uh, like what we're constantly wrestling with, is converted mana cost. I, I just mm-hmm. talked about the mm-hmm. vanilla test, right? It's always about like, well, what am I getting for my air quotes money, right? And and you know what I mean right. by money, right. I mean mana, right? So <laughs> yeah, so yeah. what am I getting for my mana? What what is it that I'm getting back for for paying this amount of mana? Because it's so important. In Commander, you have a little bit of the weight of that lifted off of you because you're usually going to have time to cast the stuff you want. What's more important is what does it do, right? Mm-hmm. Like right. what is the bottom line on this card? How rawly powerful is this? How much synergy does this have with my Commander or the rest of the cards in my deck or the the strategy that I'm going for with my Commander deck? And those are just such different questions than than what we do for limited but you can use a lot of the same tools to come to that answer you just have to put on your you know your your commander spectacle you know and, yeah, and look yeah, at things yeah. through through that lens instead of you know one for for limited where it's more about like efficiency and creatures yeah exactly and when you're evaluating cards for limited you know it's it's about the meta and it's about what set the card is in because you're not going to be playing that card outside of it so a card will change that's been reprinted from set to set like you guys have talked a lot about bronze sable and how it's much better in m15 than it has been in previous sets because of you know cards that have intimidate and and just a whole host of other reasons well i was going to say that that, that's uh like the the general process for evaluating cards at least for for limited and i'm pretty sure it would follow suit for commander as well is to Mm -hmm. um come up with with a baseline right where you you look at a card in a vacuum, more or less, and you say, well, is this card good in a vacuum? And mm-hmm. you know, sometimes your answer is yes, sometimes your answer is no. Then after you know more about the format that you're going to be playing, you take the vacuum away and you apply it to the world it's actually going to live in. So right. Bronze Sable is a great example for that because in a vacuum, it's playable but very unexciting. It doesn't really yeah. do much. And that's about where it sat in the set it was in previously. Now we put it in M15, and all of a sudden, there's quite a few different artifact synergies floating around that set. And it also 
um, matches up well against two key attackers that both have Intimidate in two different colors, and all of a sudden you've got a nice little two drop on your hands, yeah. right? And, and so, yeah. Ward, let's not forget Spectre Ward. It's just a way to last one more turn against that card. There you go, right? And so the, the little the little things all add up, and all of a sudden you've got a, a playable two drop. And uh, yeah. you know, for Commander, the, I think the one of the luxuries that you guys have is, in general, you are thinking about your deck. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you might be metagaming for your friends, but then what if you play somebody else? Right. That, now you've got all this main deck hate for your buddies. You know, that just doesn't make <laughs> sense. You want to make a, a yeah. well-rounded deck. Right. And, you know, so if you know what your metagame is, which is basically relating it to the rest of your deck, well, then you can skip the vacuum part and just go right to well, this fits right into what I'm trying to do. Yeah, exactly. And it is a lot more about efficiency and having answers in Commander. So like we always talk about running disruption packages and certain things. It's like there are certain things that you know you'll always need to have. But other than that, your commander is the one dictating the world of your cards. And if your card is good for your meta but not for your commander, then it's something that it's very easy to evaluate and be like, okay, I think I need to go this direction a little more or cut this because of that reason. I always wondered, side question, do you, mm-hmm. do you guys think that way? Like that your commander should dictate what the rest of your deck does? Because I play against some people – and I'm like, what does your commander do? And they're like, I don't know. It's five colors. <laughs> yeah. I was well, like, really? Like, well, it changes. Yeah. For you, Josh, you got your Chromat deck. You want to talk about that guy? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I go both ways with, um, with that. Like, I have some decks that are very focused on their commander and what their commander's doing. And I have, yeah, I have a Chromat deck. And Chromat is just Wooberg. Uh, he does a bunch of stuff. I don't even know what all of it is. He can sort of have old school death touch. And I think you regenerate. And I think you can pump his power and toughness and make him flying. And each of those costs a different two-color mana combination. Uh, basically, But I'll just say this, Josh. I've, I've seen you play that deck maybe seven, eight times now, and I've seen Chromat cast maybe twice. Yeah, so. I, never, I never cast him. The deck's not trying to – it doesn't care. It's just he just allows me to play five colors. Um, but then I have you know, a Marchessa deck, and if I don't have Marchessa out on the table, the deck's not going to win. Like it doesn't – you know, I have to cast her every single game to have a chance to win the game. So – I think yeah. you can kind of go either way. I think, you know, uh, we, Jimmy and I have talked about this a lot, too. I think that commander decks that are too reliant on there, um, you know, those are both ends of the spectrum, right? So yeah. it's, I think the, the best way to go is probably somewhere in the middle where your deck can still do stuff and maybe still even win if your commander is, you know, if somebody right. hinders it and it's on the bottom of your library or something. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if your commander's out, then it's really humming and, and, and it has a really good chance. But I, I don't think you want to build a deck that's so focused on the commander that it's just like dead in the water. If somebody plays, you know, Nevermore, which says cards with the chosen name can't be played or, or, or tucks your commander right. or, you know, Meddling has, Mage or any of those. Yeah, exactly. So. So yeah, I mean, I don't know if that answers your question, Marshall. But yeah, I, it totally does. I just, yeah. I was just looking for your guys' perspective on it because I've seen both angles, and I kind mm-hmm. of was curious, just like, what is the, you know, what do the commander guys think? Right. Yeah, I'd say my main theory about it is pretty simple, in that you know, for the most part, unless your commander is getting tucked into your deck or chaos warped or whatever, it's a card that you always have access to. So there is, I, it's, I think there's a, a balance there, but you do lose an advantage if you're not you know, utilizing that fact that you do have this card that you can pretty much always cast unless it gets put in your deck somehow. Yeah. Which is pretty important. I mean, yeah, that the, makes sense. The way I build commander decks is I, I look through cards and I try and find like a mechanic or a commander or even just a regular card that just sort of sparks my inspiration and I want to build a deck around it. And, you know, one of my decks is built around um, Tim, uh, Prodigal Sorcerer. Mm-hmm. I, I'm an old school player too. We used to call him Tim uh because of Monty Python. Oh, I remember. Uh, 
Yeah, and uh, there are some who call me Tim. And uh, he just he just taps to do one damage. He's a pinger, and uh, yeah, in blue a, of all things. In blue, yeah, in blue. of all things. There's actually two. There's a Zern Enchanter. Uh, that's the exact same thing from Ice Age. I played uh, with the Zern Enchanter this weekend at Pax. You by did way. okay. So 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 not only is it in blue, but then they thought, let's keep doing this a few sets later. So they they hadn't learned their lesson as of you know a couple years after the game came out. And um, anyway, so yeah, I wanted to build a deck around that idea about tapping uh, Tim, and I just thought it'd be funny to try and to try and win the game through, you know, pingers. So, you know, I didn't care what my commander was as long as it let me play the colors that allowed me to play the various different pingers. That's, uh, that's pretty that awesome. <laughs> you yeah, made a so Tim that, commander yeah. deck. <laughs> yeah, so that, so that deck That is, deck goes off, too. The it, deck it, is actually pretty good, uh, but the commander has nothing to do with it because there's no commander that, that serves that function. So... You know, but but the deck still has a theme, and and it still follows that theme. But the commander just, I just couldn't find a commander that was within that theme. So I just found a commander that allows me to play the colors I want for that theme. Yeah, I like that too because like one thing that you introduced me to, Josh, that kind of changed the way I thought about the game is like if you're building your commander deck and it can't function and do kind of the same things without your commander out, then you really are dead in the water. You know, a lot of commanders are kind of glass cannony, and I think the more that your deck can actually operate without the commander out is. Uh, better because there will be cases when you're just commander you just gets prohibitively too expensive to cast etc it just sucks when somebody plays meddling mage and names your commander and you're just like uh i cannot win now god i've <laughs> never had anybody do that but that sounds absolutely terrifying yeah, yeah. i mean just, it, it you depends know, on your play group but... yeah unfortunately yeah nevermore is actually worse because it's an enchantment so it's like uh i have to draw specifically a destroy target enchantment like i'm dead like you know <laughs> Probably. Like, how many of those does my deck have? And, um, yeah, it depends on your playgroup. Like, I've played in a lot of playgroups, and some are pretty competitive. So, you know, some people are just running Armageddon and that kind of stuff. And that's fine. I like that, um, you know, if I know what I'm getting into. And, you know, I just don't want to be dead to that stuff. I just want to have some chance against it, you know? I'm going to quote you on that, that you like Armageddon, because I <laughs> don't but, think But, see, I'm from... I literally started playing in beta. Like, right. I've been playing for forever. And early on, for the first year of Magic, like... Everyone played that stuff. Land Destruction, Armageddon was, like, normal. Like, it was no big deal. So I was desensitized to it really early. So the thought process then was, like, well, it's, that's a winning strategy. Why not do it? Like, you know, I, I don't play that in Commander generally because I know it pisses you just people get off. Of yeah, exactly. But, you know, it, when somebody does it to me, I'm like, okay, cool. Now, hold on. Let me change out for, a, for my really competitive deck here, and then let's go again, you know. Well, I, I want to touch really quickly on something that's totally different uh, about Commander, yeah. which is uh, the politics of it. Um, so normally in any every other format, like all the stuff Marshall said is really important and it still is in Commander, but we have an additional category and that's the politics. That's the reaction that it will elicit from your opponents. Yeah. Because in every other format, your opponent's already trying to kill you. Like they're already come, you know, if they can, they're doing damage to you. If they have profitable attacks, they're attacking you, you know, their number one goal at all times is to kill you. But in Commander, you might be third on that list because the guy to your right might be left, might be number one on that list. You mm -hmm. know, they might be attacking somebody else. They might be. So you have to look at cards through this lens of like, not only how efficient are they, how good are they, you know, for my deck, all this other stuff, but you have to also say like, how much are they going to paint a target on me immediately when I play them? Right. And I think Wizards did a great job essentially exemplifying this in Conspiracy with Dethrone. 
because yeah. life totals count in you know a 20 life game but in general it's kind of king of the hill when you play commander and whoever is standing at the top of the hill and how aggressively and how like how big their ego is at the top of the hill affects a lot more of the game than you would expect because in a one-on-one game obviously you're just trying to win and you're you only have one opponent in front of you but right. it's, it's such an easier way to like paint a target on yourself it's always weird i i don't even play I, I play zero Planeswalkers in my commander deck, mm-hmm. and I like Planeswalkers a lot, um, but I don't play them because every time I do, I just felt like everybody just killed me. Yeah, they're just, yeah. they're so, like, almost outside of normal magic that, like, they're so scary, and, you know, you'll never ultimate a, a Planeswalker in, in commander because everyone, as you get close, like, all the other players in the game will start, you know, coming after you. So you almost don't want to get too near to ultimating the Planeswalker because that's going to cause everybody to attack you. But if you're not doing that, like, why is the Planeswalker on the table? Right. And yeah. th- I always felt that that was a weird incentive. Like, I want to play the cards that I find exciting or cool. And, yeah. like, I don't mind if they kill them. You know, like, if, you, if I play my Planeswalker right. and you kill it, it's fine. But it just feels like it's almost like the default, right? Like, oh, he's got a Planeswalker. Kill the Planeswalker, right? The yeah, Planeswalker yeah. got to die, yeah. you know? And, like, when, yeah. when you get one on two or three or whatever, you're not, you know, your Planeswalker's dying. So it's sort yeah. of like, well, what's the point of playing the thing if it's going to die anyway? Plus, yeah. you know, with my particular commander deck, uh, it's, it's creature-centric anyway. Yeah, you don't, you don't want yeah. too many Planeswalkers anyway. But, yeah, totally. I think there's cards like Nekusar. Nekusar is basically like a, a Underworld Dreams on a stick and a Howling Mine put in there. So he makes everybody draw one extra card, and then it, all your opponents take one damage uh, for each card they draw. So it's like, that sounds awesome because it's like, oh, I'm drawing cards, they're drawing cards, that's fine, but they're taking damage. But it's like, you're just literally doing two damage to everybody every turn. How do you think, what do you think they're going to do? It's not going to kill them very fast. Yeah. So all of a sudden, like, you, you know, if you're in a game with four players... If they don't have anybody else they're mad, really mad at, they're just default going to hit you because you're doing two damage to them every turn. You know, now Nekusar can be a super powerful card. It can enable things that allow you to kill everyone in one turn. You know, it's not like don't put it in your deck. It's just you have to factor that in. It's not as powerful as it would be just in a vacuum where you know where you just get to count the amount of damage it it, it does every turn, right? Yeah, and giving your opponents uh, card advantage too is always like it's something to definitely balance the uh, the upsides and downsides of. But like people build around Nekusar to make it work for them. I think yeah. I mean, my Chromat deck is basically a Nekusar deck, but I just decided I wanted two more colors in it. And you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's because, the beauty of Commander. Yeah, exactly. So and, and uh, you know Nekusar, like I want him, but I'm only going to play him the turn that I'm going to kill everybody. Like it's yeah. just too risky because the deck can't withstand everybody attacking it. So. You know, it's going to sit there and get everybody drawing a million cards. You know, I'm going to put Howling Mine. Uh, I'm going to put as many other things that draw everybody cards. And then I'm going to put Nekusar out. And then I'm yeah. going to, you know, do one more thing and try and just kill everybody right there. You know, we, the, fork a Wheel of Fortune. Done. Yeah. I think the important thing to realize, too, is that Wizards printed a lot of cards that say each and every opponent. And those are, like, really important keywords because it changes in the multiplayer game. Because instead yeah. of, like, target opponent or whatever, like, cards like Perforos uh, just wrecks house. And that's a card that, when you play it, you get the immediate hate. Um, because, I mean, one, it's a card that's hard to get rid of in general. And also, there are so many different ways in EDH for you to just wipe out people uh, with a card like that in token generation or something. So... It's a, actually, it's, it's a really good point about Perforos specifically because he is hard to get rid of. So oftentimes the only answer people have is to just kill you. They can't, they don't often have the answer in their deck to exile an enchantment. Mm-hmm. So well, you're not even giving them, yeah, you're not even giving them the option of like, 
okay, get rid of that and don't hit you forever, they're like, well, I can't actually get rid of the Perforos card, so I just kind of have to kill you before it kills me. Sounds about right. Yeah, which is which is scary when three people are saying that. You know, in one on one, that person's already saying that. They're already trying to kill you. But in in, in a five person game, like, you know, it's it's all, you just have to be careful. Again, Perforos is awesome. Play him in your deck, but you have to, you know, you have to sort of look through the lens of EDH and be like, okay, he's maybe not I mean in Prosh, he's awesome. You know, because you're going to be able to just kill everybody, at, you know, on one turn. But in some decks, you know, he may not be worth it. He may make everybody just preemptively kill you. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, it's interesting. I, I can't wait to talk about Animar because he, uh, and I think you know this very well, Marshall, is like he definitely paints his own target. He doesn't need anyone else. You don't need to do anything. He's he's sitting there saying, hey, I'm a I'm an issue <laughs> and I'm going to do as much as I can. Yeah, it, it's funny, uh, you know, because this is one of the things that I struggle with for Commander is the perception of of how people view different cards because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I I've I, you know I'm when I play commander you know I have to tone down my normal magic self right because I, I'm very right. like I'm spiky as they get like I like destroying people like no mercy <laughs> like I want I want to see right. you just like Mulligan to five while I curve out you know I just like I'm that guy <laughs> and so in commander that's just that is just not the point of why I play Commander, and I don't want to see those things. I want to see what your deck can do. I want to see you do some cool stuff that I've never seen before. I want to see some alternate art Japanese foil friggin' card I've never seen before. <laughs> you know, I want to see some neat stuff, right? And so when I play, it's the same thing. Now, I like the option to win. I right. like being able to win, but I don't prioritize it the same way I do because if I do, then I'm that guy. And mm-hmm. it, being that guy at the commander table is no fun for anybody. So I've been able to sort of, you know, being able to, to, to switch personalities with that. But the thing that's been hard for me is figuring out, like, what people think is okay to do and what people think is crappy to do, you know? And yeah, like, it's a moving target. Yeah, it's it's just lame because, like, sometimes I play, I'm like, I'm Animar. They're like, okay, cool, whatever, right? And I, like, I play Animar, and they're like, all right. And some people are like, oh, great, you're playing Animar. And I'm like, well, I, I don't know what that means. Like, I think this is the coolest right, general right. I've ever seen. I like the art. Like, I, I don't know what you want from me, right? And so then, yeah. like, every time <laughs> I play a card, I'm like, God, I hope I don't get yelled at for this one, you know? And it's like, I, I don't really have a and I because I and I think the reason why I don't feel comfortable with it is just because it's different for each person right right and I don't maybe my I just need to have a thicker skin about it about having people you know react to to whatever cards I'm playing but it's always been a, a challenge for me for commander because I feel like the incentive structure is very strange right it's like well, what's the point of commander? Well, you're supposed to win. I mean, that that sort of underlies it. Like, you know, everybody right. wants to win. Yeah, why play otherwise? Right. But at the same time, like, you're not supposed to win too too much, right? Because then, <laughs> you know, you're kind of a jerk or whatever. And, like, you're yeah, not supposed to win too salty. quickly. Right. And so – and then and – then, so I toned those down. So Because I had a couple of commander decks that were kind of stupid. And I was like, this just isn't fun for anybody. So I killed them. But then it's like now if I win or whether I do or don't, it's like, well – you're not supposed to win in that way, right? It's like, well, come right. on now. Like, I, you know, yeah, what am I supposed I, to do? I think, you know, I think what you've done at the beginning is sort of you found your own spot within your own head where you thought it was fun and fair. And that's all you can do, man. You can't, you know, I, I, we haven't talked about this too much on the show, and maybe this is a whole topic, but... It's you know, an excellent, yeah, topic, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, 
I mean, like I said, I'm fine with Armageddon. I'm fine with whatever anybody's doing. I don't get mad about it. Like, I've played a lot of Magic, and, and none of that stuff makes me mad. But it does make other people mad, and I get it. So I don't really play Armageddon for that reason. You know, I have it in one deck, and, you know, I don't... That wiping all lands, I understand that's no fun for everybody. But other than that, like, anything else that, at least in my mind, is fine, then I, I'm going to have to go with that. Because you yeah. can't just con con continue to change your philosophy based on everybody else all the time. You yeah. just can't do it. Yeah. I finally yeah. settled on on where I'm at with it and where I ended up landing was my deck is a combination of powerful spells but also of spells that I just happen to really like and think are fun and think are cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like I and they're bad. I mean, I play like <laughs> I play some like if you go through my deck, it is uh, it is absolutely hilarious the 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 range of cards that I'm willing to play in commander. Like <laughs> I play like some of the most <laughs> mean, broken, stupid cards. Like I play Jin Gitaxius Core Augur and you know, oh, I can yes. pay him for blue blue a lot of the time. Uh -huh. And then like and I play like Mana Drain in my deck, you know, uh -huh. so I'm like you know, which which are pretty like pretty mean, but then I also play like bonded fetch mana war. You know, I play like mana uh, war. Yeah, I, I think mana the, war is awesome in that deck. Yeah, well, I mean, mana war is awesome in that deck. It's also my favorite <laughs> magic card, uh, yeah. literally. But so so that one's gonna make it every single time. But like, I I go I play um, Enclave Cryptologist, which is one of my favorites. But I also play just like personal favorites, like Mist Raven. You know, uh -huh. like that card's not that great in Commander, but I just happen to really like it a lot. And, uh, yeah, why not? Yeah, and and I feel I feel like you know whatever like it it it's a card that makes me happy. I mean I go pretty deep into the well here too, boys. I I play Chron Chronomaton in my <laughs> commander. <deck. laughs> oh goodness, yes. <laughs> and he doesn't uh -huh. do a whole heck no, of a lot at all. He doesn't synergize, but uh, sometimes he's well. He does. Guy. He's free. <laughs> yeah, that's the gets synergy. a counter on Animar. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's this thing our friend um, Alex Kessler has talked about it uh, when he was on and. It's called the 70% good theory. And there's this sort of theory out there about Commander, which is you make your deck 70, you make your deck fully, and then you take out 30% of the good stuff and you put in 30% more dirty stuff. And it's actually, it's actually not to necessarily uh, answer the point of like, is your deck fun or not? It's actually to make it more, more have a chance of winning in multiplayer because it sort of makes your deck less scary to everybody. And that actually ah. in the long run gives you more chance to win in the long run. You know, you might yeah. win that's the thing I love about Commander. You can build a really mean deck and you might win a couple of times, but if you play in the same circles, you know, around the kitchen table, which a lot of us do, then you're going to win the first two sessions and then you may never win again, you know, with that deck. Because you just got a target. so mean. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's a choice you can make. If you want to win those first two and you don't care about all the rest, go for it. But I'd rather have a chance to win every night. So it's sometimes, you know, Alex's theory of 70% good gives you the chance to win every night. Yeah, that's funny. I, I always try to balance that with the uh, the politics stuff that you were talking about a little bit earlier, mm -hmm. because that that's a part that I, I was really glad you guys chose to do that as one of your early topics for this podcast, mm -hmm. because I am just lost. Like, I, <laughs> I don't understand what I'm supposed to be doing. I like I see through all of the, the cheap ploys that people are like, you know, I see them play like their sixth land and they look at their whole hand and they're like, go and i'm just like you're just sandbagging <laughs> like you're just trying to not be like i'm attacking you like i don't care like i you know yeah. i play poker for a living i'm like i can see That's right through I'm... this crap and i'm just a, i'm just i'm gonna kill you like you better start playing stuff because yeah. i'm going to kill you i know you have spells in your hand that you could cast and you know like yeah. all of these things but what happened those games marshall did you and the other player that you attacked did either of you win no way. I see the thing yeah, is see, I am, that's the problem but see it's it's awesome though because since i've been able to take that that pressure off of myself to win 
I am right. perfectly willing to throw away my game to ruin somebody else's if I think they're <laughs> if they're being stupid right. or whatever. Like I will and be just the, the fun police, or, or, not fun police, but I'll be the the fairness You'll police the at the table police? if I have to. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Um, it's beautiful too because I I mean in general like come on guys we're not winning every magic game we play and that's something that has been ironed into my head after playing in a couple of the tournaments this weekend and it's just something you have to live with but commander gives you the option like you just said Marshall to actually make a huge difference in who does get to win because you do get to choose you get to essentially put your influence on the table and in the speech and debate you are you know you're a major contributor even if you don't come out on top yeah, we, we played a, a thing at Wizards. Um, we played a comma- uh, not commander. Um, we played a conspiracy uh, mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. Just a bunch of the coverage guys got together. We had a, an extra box. One of us did and, and decided to, to draft conspiracy. And uh, it was really actually. By the way, your set review was really sweet for that. And uh, it was Thanks, super guys. interesting coming in after having listened to a set review and not done it myself. <laughs> it, was like, <laughs> it was very. It was really nice. But anyway, and 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 I went in and uh, and we drafted it and. And one of the guys was like, who should I attack? You know, and I'm like, don't attack me. And he's just like, oh, I'll attack you. And I'm like, you're dead. I'm like, I'm going to kill you. Like, that's it. We're done. And he's just like, he just shrugs like whatever. But he, he didn't know I was serious. I'm just like, attack you, attack you, attack yeah. you. And then like he blocks and, and he's just like, okay, fine. I go to 10 and I just like tap all six mana. I'm just like double brimstone follow you i'm like you're dead oh, he's, like, yeah. he's like i'm never playing with you again i'm like good and he laughed like yeah. we're all having fun but i'm like like this is for you, you what i feel man i what i feel like i'm looking for so when i sit down to play against it in a match of regular magic i know exactly what my goals and incentives are and in, mm-hmm. in a game of commander i kind of what i try to do is figure or, or any multiplayer game i should say is i try to figure them out as i go and so right. I'm like I'm waiting for somebody to do something to and you know to give me that path <laughs> and it the might just be you yeah. know like cross me the wrong way you know not like right, verbally right. but like you know pick on me for some reason or whatever and I'll just be like all right well I got my <laughs> mission <laughs> mission acquired <laughs> you know kill Target that guy acquired yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and so and I'll tell them like I don't I don't beat around the bush I'm just like if you attack me I will I will do literally everything in my power beyond the point of reason to kill you so yeah i do that as well and they call it warpath jimmy and it's it's very fun and effective and it you know it's funny because when you do do that i don't know if you found this but sometimes if it's more than you know three people people just won't target you because they're like cool they're let them have it out yeah that's their thing that is funny which is great oh yeah i love that i I want i want marshall to be attacking somebody else in the game and so that i can sit there and be and you know and just lay on the sidelines and you know, whoever's uh, limping away after that battle, I'll just finish them off. Yeah, because that's can, easy. Yeah. And I, I've done the same thing with, you know, because one, one of the things I have in my deck is um, I do have a couple of infinite combos in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't work towards them. I've actually taken, uh, I believe, all of the tutors now out of my deck. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I just... Like, I just found that that was too easy. You know what I mean? Like, you, you pick up, yeah. like, a worldly tutor, and you've got half of your combo, and you're just like, well... Like, if I just do this here, why am I, like, what's the point of this? Like, I just win the game on the spot. This is dumb. I don't, that's not, like, nobody wants that. I don't even want that. Like, I'm relaxing with my right. friends. I, I want to have a little more time to, to hang. So <laughs> I took all of those out. But I do have the ability to combo off if necessary. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I think that that's a really important thing about Commander is that you have a way to end the game when the game needs yes. to be ended. Yes, yeah, because yeah. those ones that go on forever really leave a bad taste where you're just like, God, that was... 
I, 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 it's not that I didn't enjoy myself, but when a, when a game of Magic goes an hour longer than it should have, like it isn't oh, yeah. fun anymore. You know, that is yeah, where somebody's just like, somebody kill everybody, please. You know, it's one of those. Things. <laughs> yeah, it's like, can yeah. you kill everybody? How about you? Can you kill everybody? How about you? I won't counter it. Can you kill everybody? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. get on to the next thing, man. Yeah, yeah. I let's totally. let's let's Tell shuffle you. up and play again. That's yeah. like it's more important to me to just get going again than just to sit here and you know just sort of parody, parody, parody. Exactly. Uh, and speaking of parody, I guess we can just delve a little bit into quadrant theory, which is uh, completely changed the way I, I view cards, and it's something that. Your co-host, Brian Wong, I'm guessing a long-time uh, uh, descendant from the same tribe as me somehow, I bet. Uh, oh, yeah, two Wongs. <laughs> yeah, and it definitely makes it right. Uh, so quadrant theory <laughs> is something that <laughs> was introduced on Limited Resources, and there's an ep- I think, I don't know what the episode number is, but if you guys go and uh, subscribe to the RSS feed, you'll see it. It's, it was pretty recent. Um, it's essentially a very basic theory. Uh, and that there are four stages of the game, and to evaluate a card, you can put them into these four quadrants and see how good they are and how effective they are or how not effective they are in each, and essentially be able to value a card from that. And uh, a quick example, a card like Elvish Mystic that you can tap for a green mana that costs one is one of the best things to have in your opening hand and one of the worst things to have in a hand on turn 10. Um, so... Uh, Marshall, do you want to talk about the four stages of the game that you guys talk about? Yeah, so so this is something that um, that Brian Wong came up with, and we've sort of developed on on LR as he's been there, and it was just a, a really clarifying sort of way to look at at uh, how to evaluate a card in the lens of when it's good, as opposed to like how good is it and all of those type of things. So once you've sort of put your baseline uh, evaluation on a card, uh, you want to break picture the card in four different stages of the game. And the, the, the basics of this are uh, developing. So that's the, uh, the initial stages of the game, if you will. I think that for limited, we usually consider that well, roughly up till turn five, let's say, where mm-hmm. you know there's going to be some games where you hit every land drop up until turn five. Um, maybe you're on four lands on turn five, but somewhere right in that range. But you're still establishing your board state and de- and establishing how this game is going to go. Are you the aggressor? Is your opponent the aggressor? Are things at a standoff? Like where mm-hmm. are we? Are we just playing lands and saying go? And everybody's got plenty of cards to do, to work with. These are this is the developing stages of the game. Uh, the cards that excel in this stage of the game are generally. Um, Cheaper cards, right? Cards that you can mm-hmm. just cast and that affect the board during this this part of the game. So that's kind of the important thing. Now, in Commander, and I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear from you guys, but th- it seems to be, A, a lot longer. Uh, you know, oh, yes. turn, turn five is whatever. Uh, you know, that, that's, <laughs> that's like, you know, er- opening stages still. Um, but also, uh, it's in Limited, we're focusing... And the entire quadrant theory is completely based around board state because right. almost every game you win in limited is going to be because of your board state. And I mean like really almost every one. Like you're going to attack mm-hmm. with creatures to, to, to win almost every single game of limited that you play. Or maybe, you know, creatures will have a huge part in the victory as opposed to, you know, a combo deck where you just don't really care what your opponent's doing and don't yeah, care exactly. what they're playing. So, so there's that. Um, but, but in Commander, you, there's so many different ways that you can approach a game of Magic that, I, you know, it's not just about building out creatures and attacking with them. I mean, they get swept away so often and all that. So right. that's interesting. Uh, the next stage um, is parity. And this is where the game has been developed and you find yourself in a scenario where you, neither you nor your opponent has consistent good way to advance their game plan. 
So basically you're staring at each other and maybe, right. maybe you're getting in for a damage here or there. Um, but you just don't have consistently good attacks. And a lot of times this stage comes up and you're top decking, you know, meaning you're, you're peeling mm-hmm. off the top of your deck, trying to find some way to break this board state that's been, that's been, that's happened. And this seems to be like, given the nature of multiplayer, this is just like the standard game state for, for EDH. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say in EDH, this is like most of the time, because you figure, especially if you're playing with like four players, really only two people have to be at parity for the whole table to be at parity because if one of them can't attack the other and they can't leave themselves open to the other, then they can't attack you or the other person either. So then all of a sudden the whole table is at parity based on the top two guys, you know, right. and, and even if you can kill one player, but then the other two can kill you on the crackback, then you're still at parity because, you know, you really have to be in a super commanding position to even be able to start attacking or, or doing some of your, you know, your things. So that's, it's why, you know, parity is like, pretty much the default game state. Yeah, it in, seems in to be. And it, it's interesting, too, to think about the thresholds there. Uh, in a game of limited, um, you know, I think that in order to break parity, you need one of two main things, maybe three main things. One of them is just raw power. You need something mm. big yeah. and just this just bigger and better than anything else on the on the battlefield. It could be a 5-5 five five with flying you know, mm-hmm. a dragon, any, you know, mm-hmm. you know, air quotes, dragon, just random big bomb dragon type card. Um, or another one is evasion, especially mass evasion. If you can start giving certain creatures unblockable or ways to get through mm-hmm. uh, this board state parity, then all of a sudden you can pull ahead, uh, you know, and start winning. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and then the third one is like raw card advantage. You know, I think just drawing a bunch of cards to help get you way ahead on on cards. Where when both players are top decking, if somebody peels a divination, it's like, oh man, right? Like now yeah, all of a sudden things are chases ingenuity, right? And it's interesting because when I think about commander. <laughs> it's like I have to turn this knob up so much higher. Like, <laughs> is there any one card? You know, it's just like yeah. I, I can't imagine. But basically, I would say basically your second two points are uh, still what we, you know, something that gives like unblockable is very powerful uh, right. in Commander because, you know, you're looking for a way to attack and with like and do some damage without worry of repercussion. And that's one way that you can accomplish it is just making your commander unblockable and still having other things back to defend. And then the other thing, yeah, card advantage is super huge in oh, yeah. in, in EDH. It's probably, you know, the bit, I don't know, it's hard, this is going to sound like hyperbole, but it's it's probably the most important thing is just having access to a lot of stuff to do. So, yeah, yeah well, and, and why... because this format is so powerful, you know, yeah, you, you say crack a divination, we're saying crack a brain geyser. Yeah, yeah for sure. And drop 30. You know. Like a consecrated sphinx and draw six as it goes around the turn yeah, table, you know? Exactly. Yeah, I was so. listening to the guest you had on a, an episode or two ago, and he's like, well, I usually don't want to draw 30. I'll wait till yeah. 50. And it's like, come on, dude. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, 30's not good enough. So I turn your nose up at that. Yeah. And yeah. he's just yeah, like, yeah, no, exactly. it's not. I'm just like, wow, A, this guy's my hero, and B, like, I get excited <laughs> about trying divination. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but, but, but as far as, you're right, it's just turning the dial up, because I think those two things you mentioned are still things that break parity. I mean, obviously like big board sweepers um, do the same thing, but I think they're actually more valuable in the next quadrant, which is, I'll let you continue. Yeah, which is losing. And this is actually the most important quadrant of all four of them uh, Mm -hmm. because the cards that get you out of a situation where you were losing and get you either back to parity or even can get you ahead uh, are 
very rare. Uh, you don't see those very right. often, and they're highly mm-hmm. sought after. Um, you'll even play cards that are conditional in nature if they meet this criteria because, hey, it's magic, right? Anything can happen, and you do find yourself in losing scenarios sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and definitely more often not in EDH because it is king of the hill. You know, if you're not at the top, if it's like, okay, if I don't do anything... Even if I'm the last person that's dying, I'm still going to be a person that is not winning the game because I just cannot keep up with what's going on or I'm just unable to block the attacks coming in. And it just happens much more often because there's so many more threats on the board. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious to hear from you guys what a card like this even looks like for Commander because in Limited, the most common type of card is an excellent blocker, right? Like think of Hornet Queen or you know, Grave Titan or something that can come down, affect the board immediately, and even maybe take out some threats or neutralize some threats. Another one um, would be a a Sweeper or a Wrath Effect, which, as you guys know, in Limited, they're always at rare... Uh, and they and don't they're pop so up. expensive. And they're expensive. Like they've been yeah. seven mana recently. Uh, you know, and which which in limited is often prohibitive. Uh, you know, but and even then though, you know those those are important to get you out of that losing scenario. But they certainly don't mean that you're going to win. They just mean you're, you're right. not going to lose now from from where you're at. Which is, right. I mean, look, you'll take it when you're in that spot. But you know, <laughs> those premium cards like Hornet Queen. Uh, you know, those are the ones that can actually turn a game around for you, and they don't come around very often. But like, even a Hornet—I mean, I guess Hornet Queen would be pretty sweet in Commander. In fact, I have it in my deck now. But I, oh, I don't yeah. know. Like, what does a card look it's, like it's that good, gets but you Hornet back? Hornet Queen doesn't. Yeah, Hornet Queen isn't. And when you're losing card, it's almost a developing card in EDH. Um, God, it's not that's insane. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, such an insane statement. But it, but it is because uh, even in parity, oftentimes it's not going to. I mean, what's it, what are you going to do? Buzz in for like a couple of damage, or they're just not going to attack buzz, you? But they weren't anyway because you're a parity. Yeah, and and when you're losing, it's probably not because you know a couple of three three flyers are doing are the problem. So right, you know, it might be a hundred three three flyers that might be your problem. A Hornet Queen ain't right. going to solve that. Um, yeah, so board sweeper, I think you nailed it. Uh, especially yeah. board sweepers like in Garrick's Wake, uh, Cyclonic Rift. You know, those are boards one one sided board sweepers. Sweep everybody else's stuff, but not yours. Yeah, that stuff is you know that's why Cyclonic Rift is basically in every blue deck that you know that's a little bit more on the mean side. Um, I know some people don't even like to play Psychonic Rift because in EDH it's so likely that you'll be able to cast it uh, for its full cost uh, that it's just not as fun. And uh, in Garrick's Wake for me sort of falls under the same. Right. Um, but, you know, those are those are things that are awesome when you're losing because, you know, you, you probably are losing with and you probably still have some stuff out on the board. It's just you can't answer, you know, the amazing stuff your opponents are doing. But even yeah. then, those don't answer everything. I mean, they could have... You know, if you have Indiarix Wake Out, they can have Avacyn, uh, the original Avacyn, who makes all your stuff indestructible. Uh, you know, so... Yeah, one card I was thinking of that, it, it's cards that have conditional, uh, that you can choose what it destroys, essentially. Like a card like Steel Hellkite. For instance, if it, if it swings yeah. in, and you can choose to pay X, destroy specifically, you know, these parts of their board. Um, stuff like that, I think, where you get to cherry-pick what gets taken away and still, you know have blockers up or have just a stronger board presence because of it um there's also i forget what it is but you you can tap it and add counters to it and then sack it and however many counters on it all of those ratchet bomb yeah like ratchet bomb and stuff i think those cards 
uh, definitely help out a lot. What is kind of silly though is when you're losing an EDH, like the the best thing to literally get you back ahead is like going infinite or something silly. That's like what I was huge. thinking. It, it's a combo. Yeah, a combo of things, is right. A combo is a really good is a really good answer to like. Yeah, you're gonna die next turn, and you're way behind. But you know, you just tooth and nail and win sometimes. Yeah. Did you guys see yeah. Dune Blast? By the way, yes. Oh, that yeah. seems like a decent way to get back in a game. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that another one-sided. Is. Well, it's not one-sided, but it can be one-sided uh, board sweeper. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Um, oh, it's one-sided. Yeah, I mean, uh. <laughs> if you have, if you have, yeah, if you have nothing or, or or nothing great, it's still it's still good. It's well, why here's the thing is. With a card like that, okay, I think of a card like Skull Mulcher, where you can play it and it can devour a bunch of your own cards and you can draw a card for it. Yeah, you combine yeah. that with something like Doom Blast, you have all the cards in the world and everyone else has I should probably read Doom Blast since it's like blazing oh, yeah, off ahead, the presses. Yeah, it, so <laughs> yeah. it's four white, black, green, so a seven mana. For a sorcery, it says choose up to one creature, destroy the rest. It's pretty <laughs> sick, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's just like, jeez. Yeah. Geez. yeah. It's pretty awesome if you have Avacyn on your side of the table, all your stuff lives. Or if you have Marchessa and all your stuff just comes back. I mean, there's a lot of ways to abuse it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems pretty good. So, so that's losing. Uh, and again, that's the most important. Uh, and I think, I think you nailed it, Jimmy. The, I, my, my gut tells me that for, for Commander, it's more of a, a multiple spells during one turn scenario, at least, to get you yeah. from losing to uh, winning or at least back to parity. Um, but there's also winning, of course, uh, and winning is the least important category. Interestingly, uh, you'd think that that winning would be one you'd want to pay attention to because you know sealing the deal is a, is a pretty important aspect of of magic in general. Uh, you know, you want to make sure your opponent gets as few draw steps as possible when you're in a, a winning position. But the fact is, and I think this is true for commander in, in some ways as well, when you're ahead already. Uh, Basically, all your spells look similar. They're all good, right? They all help you mm-hmm. do something. Now, I do see some differences in Commander versus something like Limited, where in Limited, you know, most of your spells are similar in the sense that they're either a creature or they kill a creature, they make your creatures better, or they do something positive like draw you cards or whatever. Mm-hmm. And right, in right. Commander, you've got a wider range of things. You know, like you have mana ramp spells in most colors. You've got, you know, you know, it, from artifacts or from green cards that let you get lands out of your, yep. your library or whatever. There's a million different things, and everybody plays – most people play some form of that. Uh, and then you've got card draw and you've got tricky, weird stuff like that just doesn't fit any category that you'd ever really play in limited like you know, like like Cloudstone Curio or mm-hmm. what's right, a mirror right. closet of mirrors or whatever that card's called. You know, it's just it's one of those things where like those what category do those go in? I value, I guess. I don't know. But <laughs> you know, yeah, developing. But but when you're winning in limited, most of the time it's like, oh, another creature. It's like basically any non land spell right. is what you want to have. I suppose in Commander that you'd have to shift that around a little bit, but I think that for the most part, like as long as it's a spell, you're probably pretty happy with it if you're in a winning position anyway. Yeah. So you don't really need to put cards in your deck specifically to help you get from winning to winning more, right? Yeah. Like that's not really an area you need to address where like if you look back at the losing category – you do. I, I think you need to oh, put yeah. cards in your deck that help you get from, well, I'm way behind. How do I get back to even or how do I even get back to ahead? Those are cards you're going to be paying a lot of attention to. But cards that really fit the bill specifically when you're in a winning scenario are ones that you can largely ignore. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I think in EDH it's a little different though. I'm gonna disagree a teeny bit because in EDH, you'll normally, if you watch the flow of a, of a multiplayer game, and I think this applies more to like four player or more games, maybe a little bit three player games, definitely not one-on-one. But if you're in a four player game or a five player game or, or a six player game, um, then you'll notice a flow of the game and the way that it'll work is somebody will be ahead at some point, the first person that's ahead, and they won't win. I can almost guarantee you that in a four-player game all the or time. more. Yes. Yeah. So, so in, but in a, in a one-on-one match, in a limited match, in a sta- game of standard, the person who gets off and is ahead is probably, you know, percentage-wise going to win more often, you know, than the other person. Now, depending, there's control decks, there's angry decks, there's all kinds of things, so I'm not, I'm not going to make it like the percentages are huge, but I would say that, you know, the person on turn six that's ahead is probably going to win the game, right? In in most other one on one formats, but in yeah. EDH, as, as long as you're defining ahead by being uh, by looking ahead at the on board, board state, yeah, yeah they, they will goals. win. Yes, yes, exactly. But in in EDH, you you can look at the board on turn eight, turn nine, and be like, that guy's board state is way ahead. That guy ain't going to win, you know, most of the time. They're right, gonna, because they're sitting on the throne, and they're going to be the first one pulled off of. So I think in EDH, the uh, when you're winning quadrant is actually more important than you might think interesting because card, yeah because cards like um like we said cards like wrath of god they get you out of your losing but if you top deck that when you're winning it doesn't do anything for you and and you need to sew up the game because there's so many infinite combos out there there's so many ways for them to drastically swing the board state cyclonic rift all that stuff we just talked about uh get a kiki jiki out boom sometimes you're just dead you know that in EDH, like you need win cons and you need the win cons to be kind of immediate. That's why cards like Insurrection that just take everybody's stuff, you get it for one turn, and a lot of times you can just kill everybody with it. Those are awesome cards in EDH. They they're win more cards in a one, you know, sometimes. But yeah. in in EDH, like you need stuff. You know, you can't just afford to take three. You're ahead on board. You can't afford to take the next three turns just top decking stuff that doesn't win you the game because you can't stay on top of that hill for very long. That's interesting, especially given, like I can certainly imagine a scenario where you're in a dominating board position, but you can't win that turn and you right. pass the turn. And by the time it comes back to you, you are no longer in a dominating board right. position. Right. Exactly. Happens all the time. Yeah. That's interesting. When you're winning, it's, you need to get into a winning position or, or you need to be able to accelerate into one and then you need to be able to lock it down. Right, you need to be able to to make that last free throw in the game that says like, okay, now we're ahead by four points. They only have three seconds left in this game. Even if they sink a three, they're not going to be able to catch up. Right? Yeah, you need the, to make the sure old that nails you, in the coffin. Right. Right. Yeah, you need those. You need those in ADH more than in the other formats. I think. So, do you pick cards specifically for that? Yeah, I think you need what we call win condition cards. You need stuff that feels maybe like it's a little bit win more under normal circumstances. But they, but it just slams the door. And that's why that's why tutors are so powerful in EDH because it's a huge singleton format. And mm-hmm. when you need the win more card, you need it now. So you need to be able to go get it sometimes. Right. And when, but but you don't want the win more card when you're losing, which is most of the game. You know, just percentage wise, there's five people in a game. Like you're not going to be ahead very often. But you're going to need to save yourself when you're losing, so you need that card when you need it. So it's 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 a big reason why tutors are. I mean, tutors are historically really powerful, but you know, EDH decks need tons of them uh, to have it. You know, just depending on how often you want to win. But right. you know, that's what One, allows you to have the the versatility that you need. 
one card that I think really fits actually into all these categories that it, it is a bit innocuous and it doesn't work 100% of the time, but then again, nothing really works 100% of the time in Commander, is a card like Fate Spinner, who's the human wizard from Mirrodin that forces everyone at the beginning of their upkeep just to skip either their draw step, main phase, or combat. Oh, and that was the one that was bugged on Magic Online forever. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? That, Did you know? Yeah, yeah well, I, I won't get into it, but there was a hilarious bug with that. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why. I mean, the rules around this, and especially on an online format, I can see the, the game not being... This card is actually a really good answer to why it's so hard for them to perfect uh, Magic Online, because it's so complicated in the way that it interacts with every other card in the game. and uh, it's, it's, I understand why it's such a headache to get uh, Magic Online to work the way people think. It's not going to be Hearthstone, people. Like, it's impossible. Yeah, and it's just a different game. But, like, Fate Spinner is a card that can potentially lock down the board or at least give you that extra turn if you are searching for that answer and stuff. So it's one of those things that it, it's not necessarily win more, but it is get me to the point where I can just win. And Commander oftentimes well, this, comes down to that. This is a card that, like, takes the game and wherever it is and, and drags it into the parity quadrant, right? Like, this card says, okay, let's slow everything down and make it really hard to do stuff. You know, right. and, and if, yeah. Except and so, for you who cast it. Right. And, and, and so that can give you the time you need, or yeah, it can give you, it can let you win where, you know, you're ahead now and you just need one more turn to actually finish it out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also another card that uh, is in my Animar deck that it's called Equilibrium. And I think this is a, it's a great yeah. card all around because you can bounce your own guys with it. It's whenever you cast a creature spell, you can pay one to return a target creature to its owner's hand. And in the deck where you can blow people out and cast like, you know, eight creatures in a row, that can be in, that could be the win more condition, right? It could be just like you are already yeah, there, but now you're able to blow Because normally in a, in a normal game, you'd say, I just played eight creatures in one turn. What's it matter if I bounce their stuff? I just played eight creatures in one turn. I'm going to win that game. But if you're in multiplayer, eight creatures may not be the amount of creatures that are already on the table for all your opponents combined, right? So, yeah, I think that's a really good point. By the way, I think yeah. I might need that card. What? <laughs> that sounds yeah. sweet. We, oh, uh, we've got it, it on the list. We'll talk about it a little more later. Um, yeah, well, I think, um, yeah, there's two other really small points, and I just want to hit on them quick because we've already been on this topic for a while. But, you know, synergy is another thing to think about when you're putting your deck together. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's like uh, you might take a slightly less efficient card. You know, earlier Marshall talked about like mana cost compared to its, uh, its power and toughness and, and those kind of efficiency rankings. But, you know, if there's a mechanic that you're um, – we're going to talk about Animar in a little bit. But Mana War, efficiency-wise, may not fit where you want it to, but it has a mechanic that you need and that you want for the deck. So it, it's going to make it over other cards that are maybe more efficient. I see this in a lot of new players' decks where they're like – I don't know, Fleece Main Lion. It's a 3-3 three, three for two, and later it becomes an indestructible thing. And it's like, yeah, but your deck is Animar. Like, it doesn't actually synergize with anything that you're trying to do, you know, so it may not be the best. It's also illegal to play an Animar, but... Yeah, you're right. Sorry. <laughs> there's, there's many issues there. No, but your point's well taken, though. It's it's a, it's simply... it's it, And I always have to make this adjustment, because, like... Yeah, a card like Fleece Mane Lion stands out to me as a particularly efficient, awesome creature. And right. in, in Commander, it's like, shrug. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, I'll just ignore that, right? Like, hit it's, me it, with it. I don't care. There's not very many Commander decks where Fleece Mane Lion is actually a really good choice, which is weird because it is an awesome card, and it sees play on the Pro Tour and whatever. And it's just because the lens you're looking through is so particular to what you're trying to do with the deck that, you know, it just doesn't fit the bill a lot of times. Um, another thing to think about, we kind of touched on it, is the meta, your meta. 
So, you know, one thing I would say is like, when I'm looking at all the cards I could put in my deck and I'm trying to narrow it down, I'm trying to figure out what to cut out, you know, I think about my play group and I go, well, there's a really popular Memnarch deck in my play group. So that's gonna be an artifact-based deck. And so as a result, everybody in my play group plays a lot of artifact hate. Like everybody in my play group has like destroy all artifacts or destroy target artifact or exile artifacts. So if I'm looking through and potentially making cuts, I'm thinking, well, these two cards are equal, but this one's an artifact. I'm gonna go with the non-artifact because people will have a harder time dealing with it. You know, that's just something to keep in mind when you're building your deck. Is your play group, what styles are particular to it, what that metagame looks like. Um, and the last thing I would say, and we, again, we've touched on it, is just the size of your play group. So the right. raw amount of people in it. So like Marshall was saying, he normally plays with one or two people. So I'm guessing, you know, those decks are gonna be a little bit faster. You know, they're gonna be a little bit more aggro. Uh, they have to be, um, a little bit more towards the front of the curve and less towards the back of your mana curve. You know, whereas a big, large six-person playgroup and you always play with the same five other guys and, you know, that your deck can be a heck of a lot slower. You probably don't even need any two-drops, you know, two-drop creatures at all, you know, because just right. there's not going to be that much action taking place until turn five or six on, in your game. And then you have to think about, like we were talking earlier, like feelings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> feelings yeah. is the last category. Like you have to make sure you are playing in, you know, on the same, not necessarily the same, um, well, actually, it kind of is that, the same tier as the people around you so that you don't do something that is prohibitively just not fun. And, and like Marshall said, you said it great. It's like, if it's not fun for yourself, it's probably not going to be fun for someone else either. And taking the pragmatic view of that, I wouldn't even care about necessarily hurting somebody else's feelings so much as like, like I said, if you play that deck, it's super mean, you know, you might win the first two nights and then never win with that deck again. So, you know, there's there's a sort of more pragmatic way to look at it, which is like, uh, I just want to give myself a chance to be able to hope to win every night and not just have people come after me because of the reputation mm -hmm. of the deck. So, yeah. you know, um, okay. I think that should wrap up our card evaluation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> boy, and to think we weren't going to go that deep on it. Um, okay, so Marshall, we want to do a commander spotlight on your commander, which we've talked about a little bit, but do you want to uh, introduce him? Yeah, I, I play Animar, Soul of the Elements, or is it just is Soul of Elements? Mine's in Japanese. I don't actually know what that is. <laughs> oh, it, it's Soul of Elements. There's no the elements. I don't know why. Yeah, he, yeah. he's Soul of Elements, and uh, I love this card. I, <clears throat> I, I consider myself a rug player or teamer. Teamer, as uh, we are yeah. now known, and yeah, uh, teamer. yeah, that's a lot of my favorite uh, constructed decks have been rug colored uh, in both modern and standard. So that kind of led me over to Animar, and once I saw Animar, I thought, oh man, I'm going to play a deck with that guy. Yeah, and that's <laughs> exactly the first thing I saw. I was like, this guy is demanding to be built around. Yeah, he's actually got a lot going on as well. He he costs blue, red, green, and he's a one-one. So, you know, just quick vanilla test, fail. Uh, but he's, uh, he's an elemental, obviously a legend, and uh, he's got protection from white and black. So he basically has protection from everything that he's not, which is kind of right. interesting. Um, it pops up more frequently than I thought it would. Um, oh, I would say super frequently. Those yeah. are the two, co two colors with the best spot removal, um, uh, instant speed spot removal. Uh, so that gets played in Legacy, especially, like, no Sword to Plowshares, no Path to Exile, no Doomblade-type stuff, no... I mean, 
it's super powerful to have protection from those creatures. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, of course, with blocking and stuff, too, uh, for commander damage purposes. Um, but he's got more. And, and, and in fact, those are the, the minor abilities. The, the major stuff is whenever you cast a creature spell, you put a plus one, plus one counter on him. Uh, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, he can get kind of big if you're casting a bunch of creatures, but then the big home run comes at the end of the card. It says, creature spells you cast cost one colorless less to cast for each plus one, plus one counter. On oh, baby. Boom. Now we're in business. Now that we've got awesome. a deck. I've got an idea. We're doing things. And all of a sudden, uh, Animar goes from being, like, pretty sweet. Like, already, you know, like, oh, protection from white and black. He gets bigger. But now it's a, the core of an entire strategy. Yeah, now he can be broken. Yes, and he can be absolutely broken, and it is awesome. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about this a lot of times on the, on the podcast, which is any card throughout the history of Magic that cheats mana costs, that somehow finds a loophole within the normal casting cost of a card, is super powerful. Yeah, it, it, it breaks the game in some ways, um, in the sense that once you get a bunch of counters going on it, it tends to... Uh, enable more counters getting on and then all of a sudden you're casting you know seven or eight mana creatures for one or two mana and and the game ends pretty quickly but you know i, I have to say one of the things that really attracted to me uh, attracted me to to animar uh when i first saw him as, as a commander potential was he's kind of fair in some ways um he feels fair yeah, yeah. like in and what i mean by that is like yes you can. I think if you use your imagination, uh, you can see some pretty nasty stuff that Animar can enable. Uh, so the power of ceiling is quite high. Like he can do some really gross stuff. But he's also a creature, right? And mm -hmm. yep. without the creature, without him on the battlefield, all of a sudden you've got a bunch of kind of overpriced, maybe not so great cards in your hand. And the fact that he strongly suggests that you play a lot of creatures means that right. you're kind of all in on the creature plan. And yeah, I've been you a little bit. Yeah, I've been all in on the creature planning commander. They die a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they die all the time. And so I think that it's sort of like naturally balanced in the sense that like you play Animar, you maybe go off for a bit and then somebody's like, yeah, Wrath. And you're like, okay, start over again. Right. Yeah, and you know, right, hopefully yeah, you've still right. got a big hand, you know, that you can use to, to refuel the, the thing. But I also loved the Animar uh, is three mana, right? Like a three mana yeah. general just seems yep. super cool to me. And also that his mana cost is just straight up rug, right? It's just right. Yeah. blue, red, green. I think that just I think visually it looks cool. And also I just think it's, it's a neat idea uh, for, you know, costing a, a commander as well. So I was all in on that. Uh, I poked around online. And looked at some lists that people had because I always get really overwhelmed at the initial stages of building a commander deck. It's just too many cards for me to process. Right. And yeah, so absolutely. I kind of used a, a rough shell that I found online and then started uh, augmenting it from there. And now I don't think it really even resembles that that rough shell anymore. But it's a good it's a good uh, it's a good bit of advice just to give you a jumping off point because you're right. If you if yeah. you're just like it's like when you go to a restaurant and if they have like a thousand things on the menu it's impossible to order but like if you go to in and out burger they got three things it's really easy to order it's like yeah. you gotta narrow it down like just yeah um let's talk about his mechanics really briefly sure so uh i just wanted to mention a couple of things um first off if you cheat your creatures into play or you flicker them in some way then it won't activate his ability so yeah. you actually have to cast them you got to cast them Right. And then can you talk about how it works with creatures with X in their casting cost? Yeah, so it'll just reduce it. 
you know, by whatever the, the mm-hmm. one colorless is. So, you know, if you have something with X in the cost, you can, you can make it cheaper. Uh, I don't think I have any. I, I don't think I didn't put uh, what's it called Genesis Hydra in my deck Genesis either Hydra, yet yeah. or at all. I don't know if I'm going to if I'm going to play it. But, you know, like I try to focus on like because what it makes you do is look at weird stuff like expensive cards um, become a lot cheaper, but also like uh, colorless cards can become free. Right. As in, oh, yeah. you don't even Just have to tap a single free. mana to cast them. So, like, morphs all of a sudden get a little bit different of a view. And so, right. I don't know, it makes you look at creatures in a different way. I mentioned Jin Gitaxius Korogger earlier. He costs 10 mana. That's eight blue, eight and two blue. So, it's like a ridiculously costed card. But, I mean, I've played it for, for blue, blue, you know, countless, maybe not countless, but many, many times. And, yeah. uh, you know, th- that's the kind of thing that I try to look for, cards that have, like, single or double mana symbols and then just a lot of colorless because I know that I'll be able to get them down with Animar. Right. Yeah, I, guess, I guess my point with the X casting cost was just to point out that, like, the counters on Animar can count towards the X amount, right? Yeah, yeah. They yeah, just, yeah. like, for every yes. one colorless less, they, they cast, uh, you know, it costs that much cheaper, right. in- yeah. including the X, yes. I think it is important to have creatures that can just be played for free. And I think in general, when you're looking for creatures for this deck, you want to find ones that have a number in front of it and usually just one mana symbol after it. Now, obviously, that's not always going to be the case, but that because you just know that that colorless mana can always just disappear uh, once you are able to chain stuff up with Animar. It helps you have just like that crazy efficient term where you can dump your whole hand onto the table or whatever. Yeah, while well, refilling it too. Right, yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's interesting because when I looked at it, and you guys obviously both have Animar decks, so let's see if this is correct, but to me, the most important creatures were things like Man at War, were things that actually bounce uh, ideally either yours or your opponent's creatures when they come into play. So creatures, you know, like Venzer, Shaper, Savant is another decent one. Um, you know, the reason I was thinking when, uh, that I liked Man at War in particular is that, you know, it's one of those cards that if you're in a pinch, if I'm in trouble, I can bounce my opponent's creature if I have to, but I'd rather bounce my own and then play it again because what did I just do? The Mana War came in, it put a counter on Animar, and so the next thing I cast will cost one less, and then I bounce my own creature, and it costs one less, and I play it, and it puts another counter on Animar, so the mm-hmm. next thing I cast will cost two less, you know, and that can really uh, snowball out of control really quick, and you can probably get these turns where, you know, like you said, you play seven, eight creatures in a turn, Animar is huge, all your stuff's costing zero, or close to zero. Yeah, right. and when you have cards like Solemn Simulacrum, who's a four just artifact creature that you get to put a land card tapped at whenever he enters the battlefield, and you can start yeah. bouncing that stuff back and forth, you could literally just pump Animar up and up and up and up, and then just play him for free each time. Yeah, anybody that's listening to the pod, to, to my podcast knows that I am a lover of value, and uh, this right. is oh, yeah. the most value deck I can imagine. That, that's why I play it. I mean, it just is. Like, it's just insane. Like, I play, you know, uh, Moldrifter for blue, draw two, yeah. mm-hmm. and then, like you, you mentioned, Josh, I, I play a Man of War, bounce, bounce a Moldrifter, put another counter on Animar, play the Moldrifter for, for blue again, draw two more cards, put another counter on, and I'm just in absolute heaven. I've got a, I've got a patented move around um, Mana War as well uh, with Alluren, where ah. you, it allows you play you know creatures with converted mana cost three or less for free and at flash speed. Although it actually allows anybody to do that, but most people look at their hand and they're like, oh, well, I've got like one thing and everything else costs more. <laughs> My hand's like filled up with these things, and 
and it, it, with Manowar, it's just a combo because you can just put in Manowar, yeah. return Manowar, yeah. and then so then Animar gets put infinite. infinite. Combos on yeah, Animar. and yeah. so my patented yeah. move is to take my box of dice and I just dump it on top of Animar, <laughs> 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 and then nice. you know hopefully attack and kill somebody <laughs> that turn with it. Right. But uh, yeah, but I, I th- this deck really is all about value. Yeah, it, it plays. It, it seemed like when I was I was looking at it that it plays a lot like a flicker deck. You know, you want a lot of in, enter the battlefield effects. You know, there's there's cards uh, that are a little bit better in this deck, like Mystic Snake, maybe, because you're actually bouncing the cards back to your hand instead of flickering them in at your end step. Um, mm-hmm. Again, Venzer, Shaper Savant, another one of those. Uh, uh, duplicate. Mystic, Mystic Snake, I should say, uh, counters a spell when it comes in. It's a creature that counters a spell when it comes into play. So, you know, if you played that out, put a counter on Animar, everything costs one less, then you bounce it back to your hand, now you can counter something else, and it still puts another counter on Animar. You know, that's... That's sort of the beauty of this deck. It's like you're doing all this stuff for value. And Animar himself is actually getting bigger to the point where, you know, he can probably just kill somebody with commander damage in one hit, right? Yeah, he does. You know, the the protection from white and black starts to become relevant at that point. Because you mentioned one of the upsides, Josh, is that he's pretty resilient to many of the common spot removal spells that you'll see Mm -hmm. in commander. But also being protection from two different colors just hits so many cross sections. Yeah, Yeah. it's like you just, you know, even in a deck that happens to have black and white in it, like most of their creatures are going to be one or the other, even if it's not a strictly black and white uh, commander deck. And uh, it just creates awkward blocking situations for your opponent pretty often. And, And sometimes they just can't block it at all. Another card that uh, I really liked in this deck is Grinning Ignis. Oh, you know, I don't actually play that card. That That's interesting. It's normally a Storm card. Uh, it was in Modern Masters. It's, uh, it's two and a red for a 2-2 elemental. It says, pay one red, return Grinning Ignis to its owner's hand, add two and a red to your mana pool. And you can activate this ability only anytime you would cast a sorcery. So it basically, you pay a red, and then you get its casting cost back into your mana pool. But the thing is... If you can play him for 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 less uh, less CMC because uh, of Animar, you could actually create a combo where you can just play him out like five, six, seven times, depending on how much red mana you have in a turn, and you know really just just jump the counters on Animar drastically. Even if Green Ignis, Ignis is the only card you've got going that can do this thing, I like the way you think. <laughs> Josh has this good. ability to to find these combos with cards that are worth less than 20 cents <laughs> that are able to break a command it's one of it's one of my favorite things to do you know is talk about cards on the podcast that aren't super expensive because it's it's you know there's all these cards that are great but i don't have 50 dollars to spend on every card in my commander deck you know or, or or whatever and i think a lot of people are in that position and so you know i just like to point out like hey you can be you can create some mean decks and the cards are all less than a dollar or or you know all except for a key seven or eight of them are well, can right. can I can I have you turn that power into cards that cost more than a dollar? Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wonder I wonder what would happen there. <laughs> right, it's you unlock more and more, and it just you just become unbeatable. Um, actually, I wanted to mention there's a new card in cons coming out called Soundclaw Mystic, uh, that is just just built to play for Animar. It's he's one in the green. Um, it's a creature oh, yeah. shaman that taps for. Uh, the colors that Animar is in, but he also is a morph creature that you can morph him for three, and then when you unflip him for two, you add blue, green, red to your mana pool. So it's an instant cast of Animar with this guy, which is really interesting because 
there's a lot of times I find that if your mana isn't fixed, it's really hard to get going with this deck. You know, if you don't have that right start or the right draw, then you're kind of caught dead in the water if you're not able to get the counters up or someone just removes Animora. So I think this is actually a really solid addition to any deck if you guys are looking to build it. There, there's another new morph, by the way. Did you guys see this one today uh, from Cons that's going to go into my deck immediately? It's called <laughs> I- Ice Feather Aven. I- I've had about seven people on Twitter say, I thought of you when I saw this card, and I know when that happens, it's going to be a bounce spell or something. You know, some sort. <laughs> so it's, it's uh, green-blue for a 2-2 flyer. Okay. So on my limited Best scale, I'm already sold. On the, cons- on the commander scale, less so. Uh, but it's also got morph, <clears throat> and its morph cost is one blue-green, so three mana. Okay. When ice, uh, when ice father, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna call it ice father Aven because that sounds so much cooler than ice feather Aven. Uh, when ice father <laughs> Aven is turned face up, you may return another target creature to its owner's hand. Ah, uh, nice. That's great. Yeah, yeah. great in. deck. In. Yeah. Boom. In. Playing that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, one of the cards I have in my deck uh, along the lines of this bounce thing too that I, I don't see many people play, but I think is super sweet is it's called Lady Sun. Lady Sun. Yeah, oh, it's from one. Portal Three Kingdoms. Oh, well, that's I, I found it in some random, um, you know, like display case at a at a local store. I'm like, what the heck does that do? He's like, oh, here you go. And I mean, it's super lame. Like, oh, it's it's man, just it's awesome. Yeah, it's just this lady holding a baby while like some warriors <laughs> going off to fight in the background. Like the artwork <laughs> is not amazing. But anyway, one blue blue for a one one, and she's a legend, and. Uh, it says, and Mary, this is a little bit weird word, be- weirdly worded because of the fact right. that it's four yeah. On your turn, before you attack, you may tap Lady Sun to return it and another one, uh, excuse me, and one other creature to their owner's hands. Dude, that's a quick question. Awful. Is she affected by summoning sickness? Yes. Okay. All right. So you, so you players say go, but then on your turn, basically. Every turn after that, every, you, you get to bounce. So you bounce or replay her, and then when your turn comes back, you get to do it again and again and again. And you get to keep, like, somebody's commander stranded in their hand, right? Or, <laughs> right. you know, or you know, just some big creature that you have to deal with. And then if you've got Animar out, she only costs blue-blue, which is, I mean, if she was two in a blue, it would be kind of busted. But yeah, anyway, just blue-blue is pretty nice. And then, of course, every time you replay her, you're getting counters on, on Animar anyway. Yeah. So, right. yeah, that, this is one of my sleeper cards that I, I love. This this is an stuff. awesome card. I've never heard of it, but it, it falls along the lines with like, I, like I said, I really like the cards that not only can bounce your stuff, but can bounce other people's stuff. Like yeah. the stuff that only bounces your stuff is still playable, but you you want way more of the versatility of being able to bounce their stuff. Right. Yeah, that's why a card like Equilibrium that we were talking about before has so much power because it gives you the choice, you know, of of paying that extra one. And when you have Animar out and you're casting creatures for so cheap, you're always going to have just that extra amount of mana floating around, which is great. Right. Finding and, uses for that is really where this deck gets going. And Equilibrium was the one where whenever you play, whenever you uh, cast a creature, if you pay one colorless, then you can bounce another creature back to owner's hand, right? And that is value. If I've yeah. Seen There's it. another card you mentioned earlier, Marshall, that's all along similar lines. Yeah. Uh, Klaus Cl- Cl- Curio. Yeah. yeah. I, mm-hmm. Do you play this one in your deck, Jimmy? Uh, I do just because it allows me to just. That's how I build counters on Animara. All right, I've got a I've got a funny story about about her, but I'll read it first because it's kind of a complex card. It's so it's three colorless mana for an artifact, and it says whenever a non-artifact permanent enters a battlefield under your control, you may return another permanent you control that shares a permanent type with it to its owner's hand. So creature right. for creature, 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 yeah. creature is the most common way in in Animar. Um 
I took this out. Like a mud drifter. Um, really? Yeah, it, it's interesting because I, I didn't take it out for power concerns. It, it's definitely powerful. Uh, I took it out for two reasons. Um, the first one is I, I thought it was a little too good. Like I, it, mm-hmm. I felt like it, it is very I, good. I wanted to make my deck work a little harder, and Cloudstone Curia was like, "Oh, you don't have to work anymore. Like you just get to go <laughs> off." And so I felt like. You know, I, I, I want to work a little harder than this. I, I think that Animar's Raleigh powerful enough that I don't need to help it. And then the other problem that, that I had with Klaus and Curia was that the version I had was Japanese, and I could never remember what it did. <laughs> <laughs> right, because it's permanent like type. That. You I really like that don't, you don't, you don't see that, <laughs> yeah. that wording on cards very often. Yeah, I'd always yeah. have to ask or look it up or whatever, and I'm like, this is just too embarrassing. I'm, I'm not going to run this card anymore. I, right. See, here's my theory on that. I would absolutely put this card in my deck, and then I would just hold it in my hand, depending on the type of game that it was. Because, man, you never know. Every once in a while, somebody saddles up to the table with like a really mean deck, and it's like, oh, yeah? Then I'll play my Cloudstone Curio, Curio in this game. You know, yeah, that, fair. That, and watch uh, me play yeah. Mold Drifter all day long. And you've got <laughs> yeah, and you got Mold Drifter. You've got uh, a lot of other cards that are going to draw you cards. And, you know, the funny thing about EDH and Commander is we talk about you know card advantage and disadvantage and whatever. But if you're worrying about that too much, you built your deck wrong because usually you just have way too many cards. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. all decks can usually be built where like you just have a full grip of cards all the time if you want. You know, if you want to like. Or you've right, got there's a enough draw. ways to draw, yeah. Oh yeah, so you know it's okay to just sort of be. It's technically card disadvantage if I don't play that card, but you know, I, I, in most decks I build anyway, like holding one or two cards doesn't make any difference at all. Yeah, we talked about how it's similar to uh, Flicker. There's a couple cards I thought that were just too expensive for the Flicker deck, um, but in this deck because you can sort of cheat their cost, you you, you sort of um, you can play them. Uh, oh, like yeah. uh, one was like Draining Welk. Um, oh, yeah, I play that one. Yeah, that's a sweet card. Uh, do you want to read it? Yeah, oh. I can't remember what it does, but I know that it's it's <laughs> four blue-blue, and I think it, it's just it has flash, and it says when it enters the battlefield, you counter-target spell, and then you get plus one, plus one counters on it equal to the converted mana cost of that spell, and it has Dude, flying. you lied. You know exactly what it does. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I just I, what I meant is I don't have it like directly right, in front right. of me, but <laughs> I, I played it enough to, uh, to remember what it does. But, yeah, uh, that card is... <laughs> like in Animar, that card is stupid sweet. Like right. especially because yeah, then you inevitably get to untap with it and just like whack somebody with a thing and it's huge. It's yeah. Great. Then you bounce it back to your hand and they're like, crap, he's just gonna counter whatever I want and draw a bazillion cards. This is horrible. Like Yeah, yeah that, it, that happens. It's a two mana counter when Animar is up with the b- most upside you could have yeah. for a card like that. It's just a straight counter spell that draws you cards. I mean it's it's not crazy. draws. Well, oh, just, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. It it sort of. It draws theater. you a sweet dragon and plays yeah. it for you for free. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I had this in Flicker, and then I just could never hold up the six mana for it, so I just had to take it out. But in this deck, it's perfect. Um, yeah. Another card I thought fell, fell into this category was uh, Prime Speaker Zagana. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's so I run her sweet. In my deck too. She's the one that draws you cards. Sorry, I was looking yeah. at her ahead of time. Here, yeah. I'll read her out. So okay. she's six total. Uh, it's two, two green, and two blue. Um, so it's it's not the most value out of Animar because you can only subtract two from the casting cost, but still playing her for four is a deal. Yeah. Um, so she enters the, gap, the battlefield with X plus one plus encounters where X is the greatest power among other creatures you control. And when she enters the battlefield, you draw cards equal to its power. So if Animar is, you know, if it's got all of Marshall's dice on it at the arbitrary number of however much, you could technically play Prime Speaker Zagana and accidentally deck yourself. Also works really great with Animar because the trigger from Animar goes on the stack when you cast Prime Speaker Zagana, uh, putting the counter on, on Animar, and then 
Prime Speaker. So no matter what you're drawing, at least one card. You know, probably much more. But yeah. Well, yeah. no, you're yeah. I mean, you're drawing whatever, like uh, three or four or whatever. Uh, yeah, but I mean, if, if only Animar was out and is the next card you played, you still get to draw one because it would make Animar bigger before Prime Speaker. Well, Zagana. yeah, but you get X plus one plus one counters on Zagana, where X is the greatest power, so it's at least two. Oh right, so you're at least drawing two cards. Oh, you're right. Yeah, like at the very minimum, you're getting two, and I've never drawn two. Oh, I've yeah, drawn twelve. Draw I've never drawn two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Prime Speaker Suite, uh, that's the only other altar I have in my deck. I just felt like uh, that artwork is so cool on Prime Speaker. Yeah, and, uh, nice. I love cards like that, man. Like especially in a deck like this where it fits everything, right? Like it it works with the Animar, and yeah. it's this thing where it's like I'm I'm trying to make this deck work through creatures, right? It's all about right. creatures, and Prime Speaker lets me do. Uh, the two things I really want to do anyway, which is draw cards and, and play creatures. So yeah, yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Um, another card that we didn't mention here that I think uh, deserves a, a spotlight that I found, and I I didn't see this on any my the deck list I looked up was Forgotten Ancient. Have you guys seen this guy? Is yeah. that a, is that an ape of some sort? And no, he's an elemental. Uh, a oh, very I have seen this guy. Yeah, one. yeah. He's three in the green. And he's a zero three, uh, and so whenever any player casts a spell, any player casts a spell, you may put a plus one plus one counter on Forgotten Ancient at the beginning of your upkeep. You may move any number of plus one plus one counters from Forgotten Ancient onto other creatures. What? So, you move it all <laughs> so yeah, he's just Captain Fuel. You know, he yeah. he's like, hey, Animar, have a gift, and he tosses That's you know insane. what everyone else has done for you. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Wow, I might need to find me one of those. That sounds yeah, really good. Uh, it's not can't be expensive either, is it? No, I doubt it. I mean, I, I can't see a, this being a... That's a 20-cent <laughs> uh, card again. Yeah. You have the power, too, Jimmy. You have the power, I, too. I guess so. Well, I also have the Gatherer, which lets me search for the word <laughs> plus one, plus one counter in the right colors. Right. see what comes up. Um, another thing I wanted to say was, like, I, I would put a premium... Uh, when I was looking at it, you know, to me, I would put a premium on artifact creatures just because right. the ability to reduce a casting cost to, to actually zero is, like, super strong. So you talked about Solemn Simulacron earlier uh, duplicate which exiles another creature when it comes into play uh it's just like a free removal spell yeah you know? steel hell kite worm coil engine Kanamaton. yeah yeah like, all the <laughs> am i doing this wrong <laughs> uh, no, that's, also, that's super efficient you know also i thought there was room for for a few like just huge you know if you want to be mean just eldrazi like straight yeah. up just like Big uh ulamog or Blightsteel Colossus, because, again, you have a really good chance of just playing them for free. Yeah, yeah. I, I run two Eldrazi in my deck. I run uh-huh. uh, Ulamog um, just as a big finisher, and also yep. because, like, I run Mana Drain. And, like, I just... I. Yep. I don't love the I love I don't love love the card, but I felt like it was there. And I also run Artisan of Kozilek, which yeah, is the nine the mana ten nine one with Annihilator two that lets you get a creature card from uh, your graveyard onto the battlefield uh, yeah. for, for value. You know, yeah. um, you know, nine, I, nine, nine drop for value. There's something that I was hoping would come up this uh, podcast, and, and I'm just going to take this opening. But um, I'm, I, I don't, you don't know this, Marshall, but I'm 1-0 against you lifetime and draft. Uh, what? We played, Did we battle? We, we played uh, on, uh, yeah, on Magic Online. It was months ago. You didn't, uh, you didn't know who I was, but um, yeah, it was actually when Rise. Match. It was actually when Rise of the Eldrazi was uh, one of the flashback drafts. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm sure you don't remember it, but you did play an artisan of Kozilok on me, um, and I actually still won that game because I got a Gigantomancer out on you, 
And I, I do like, remember that. You are a monster. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually just an insane game, too. Yeah. That, that was, was you? Yeah, that was me. God, yeah, um, you're lucky you told me now. I never would have come on the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, I, you're, I you're forgiven. The, 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 main, the, the only person I have a problem with is the guy that played uh, three dranas on me. Oh. Which was that same time frame, <laughs> and uh, I actually met him. Me. He's a he's a judge, and he's like, mm. I'm the drama guy, and I'm like <laughs> you. <laughs> and now, whenever I see him, I just scowl at him, and then we laugh. Yeah, yeah now no, I just never want to play you in draft again, so I can keep my undefeated record alive forever. Yeah, well, right? I, I still couldn't believe that. I remember that. I was like, unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I think you yeah. got an Ulamog's Crusher back with the artisan or whatever, and it was like, yeah. it was pretty dire. But I had the. The Gigantomancer in my hand, I was like, oh, he's not going to be happy about this. <laughs> you were correct. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, pretty great. Yeah, anyway, you know, playgroups feel differently about uh, Eldrazi yeah. and Blightsteel Colossus and stuff like that. But, you know, I think it's totally reasonable to have a couple of them. Like Marshall said earlier, like, the game has to end at some point. Somebody's yeah. got to win. Don't feel bad about, like, having a couple cards that freaking win the game. At some point, everybody wants to, like, get up from the table or at least reshuffle. Yeah, that's what yeah. I think too. Plus, I mean, like, what's my big payoff? Like, I'm playing Animar. Let me have one yeah, exactly. big, fat, yeah. crazy creature, right? And yeah. like, this is the Timmy yeah. deck. I mean, you get to be that cannon and you get to blow up. And yeah. if people get angry at you, be like, I earned it. <laughs> yes, I earned Like, maybe you shouldn't have let Animar get 11 freaking counters on yeah, him. Exactly. <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you kill him? Why don't you use a Path to Exile? Wait. Crap. Oh, wait. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay, so uh, let's, let's talk about some cards you may not think of. And actually, Jimmy, Forgotten Ancient is a great one uh, that, that would fit into that section because I totally hadn't heard of that card. And also, it doesn't do what you think, but the fact that moving 1-1 one, one counters onto Animar is really good. That's a really good pickup. Yeah. Um, another card uh, I liked is um, that, that you mentioned, Marshall, is um, Palancron. Yes, I play Palancron. Yeah, it's just an infinite mana combo, and, you know, it's it's... I think it's fine to have a couple infinite combos in your deck. It's 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 not um, you have to do a couple things to get it done too. It's not like just play Animar, play Palancron, done. You know, you have to have some counters on him. Yeah, so. you have to have counters yeah. on him, and then you need to be able to to like it. Basically, just takes a bunch of mana. Like once you have a bunch of mana on the battlefield, you can do it. And there's a few other ways with. Uh, Vesuvian Shapeshifter and a few things like that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you guys that don't know, Palancron is just five uh, colorless and two blue. Uh, two blue. He's flying, and when he comes into play, you untap up to seven lands, which is his normal casting cost. And for two and two blue, you can return them to your owner's hand. So you can just bounce them back and forth, and essentially with the right uh, combination of counters on Animar, create infinite mana. Correct. Uh, another card that does the same thing is Peregrine Drake. Uh, Peregrine Drake is. Um, let me look him up because I know he does it. I think it's Peregrine as well. Oh, Peregrine. Because right. that, that was my favorite bird when I was a kid. Uh, yeah, and Marshall, Marshall should know. Don't you, don't you have to say these things on like the Pro Tour? Like, how do you get all the pronunciation of everything? That's well, like, uh, unfortunately for Peregrine Drake, it hasn't been played at yeah. the Pro <laughs> level in a while. So, uh, so it's a flying 2-3. Uh, That's not important. It costs 4 and a blue, so 5 total. And it says when Peregrine Drake enters the battlefield, untap up to 5 lands. So if you can cheat his mana cost, you can just play him and mm-hmm. then untap and gain mana when you play him. And then if you can bounce him, then you're even business. better. Yeah. yeah, there's a couple of cards that do it. Like a Great Whale uh, is one as well. And, you know, yeah. just lots of fun stuff like that. Um, um, go ahead. Oh, Kiki Jiki, one of my favorite cards of all time, as well as one of my commanders. Uh, I'm going to start hmm. calling you, actually, I was calling you Jimmy the Red, but I think I'm going to start calling you Kiki Jimmy. 
You know what? Actually, to go back, uh, I need to defend myself because he said I may never make it pro. I placed third yesterday in the SEAL <laughs> tournament out of like 150 players. What does this have players. to do with Kiki Jiki? I don't know, but you've been holding them aside <laughs> well, for like an hour. Yeah, well, well when you said, because my nickname is Jimmy the Red because I love red, um, I got all these prize tickets for it and I could either redeem them for like 18 oh, booster this is packs. Awesome. Or I, but instead, I spent it on 150 of them on a beta lightning bolt, which I think is very <laughs> nice. indicative of who I am. That is player. indicative of you, dude. When yeah. you told me that, I was like that is so perfect i couldn't have thought of a more perfect thing that's yeah. awesome i have four beta lightning bolts sitting right in front of me and they, oh, will, they will never leave my collection yeah they're beautiful i, I love just the old 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 hearts um, but yeah kikijiki is like he just does what this deck wants um the three man the three red that he costs is a little prohibitive but when you can double stuff like duplicate or mold drifter or a solemn similar crumb or palin crumb like there's so many things in this deck that want to be kikijiki and it just helps you it kind of is win more, but at the same time, it does also help you lock it down by just giving you all the things you need to just keep going. Yeah, yeah I, run, just... I run Kiki Jiki in my deck too as a as a value card, but also um, it it gives you access to infinite combos. Um, I I do run mm-hmm. Deceiver Exarch, so if I right. mm. if I find myself in a spot where I'm about to lose and I'd rather not lose, or where the game needs to end, I have access to be able to just kill everybody at once. Yeah, Deceiver yeah. XR is uh, when it enters the battlefield, you can either untap a permanent or tap an opponent's permanent. So what you do is you untap the Kiki Jiki and just cast, uh, I don't know, 17 billion Deceiver Yeah, XR. some arbitrary number. Yeah, and, and then swing. attack everyone. And then I cast Rakdos Charm, and you Ooh. die. Yeah. Good response. <laughs> Only if I happen to be have it and playing those that deck. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and Marshall, um, do you run Fathom Mage? No. Yeah, I thought Fathom Mage was a really interesting one for this deck. Which it, yeah, is, me, I, that's, it's, the, it's, that's the gush morph. Is that right? Uh, no, it's uh, the evolve. No. And whenever a plus one plus one counter is placed on her, you get to draw a card, which oh, costs God. four for what? a one one. Is this another card I need to find now? It's a <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a card from uh, Gate Crash. It's uh, a, that's probably why you didn't know about it, right? It's two. It's two a blue and a green. It's, oh, it's Fathom Mage, right? Yeah. Of course, right, right, right. right. The, the four drop. Yeah, now I yeah, know. Yeah. No, I don't run it. It's a four mana one one, but it has evolved, and whenever it gets a counter, you draw a card. So no, I, I, I thought about running that card for a while, but it didn't. It didn't really seem that good to me. Like yeah, and it's not as good as just like a bounce to Muldrifter, right? Right. Yeah, well, I don't yeah. know. I, I mean, but th- I, these slots get taken out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I just decided not to. Well, one of the reasons I love Animar decks is like the slots are all taken up by just more awesome creatures. Like that's just the theme of the deck. It's like I got to get rid of this one really cool creature for this even cooler one. Yeah, my so the creatures in the... this deck are insane. Yeah, uh, a card I, I thought a lot of people wouldn't think of that might be good is Perplexing Chimera because uh, he's really good in Flicker. He's probably slightly better in Flicker than in this, but it still works because you basically steal one of their spells with them, give them Perplexing Chimera, then bounce it back to your own hand with Mana War or something like that, and then do that again. And it's a good way to sort of lock somebody out or, you know, protect your stuff. Glenelendra is another one of those. Yeah, I'm, I, I like to get control value. That's, uh, that's my favorite thing. I don't discriminate against my value. <laughs> another one, another card that we've never, ever talked about ever on the show before, this will be the first time, is Prophet of Crufix. <laughs> Which... <laughs> which, <laughs> which, by the way, comes up every week. Yeah, it's just like she's not doing everything you want to do, but she just enables so many things. I just, yeah, she's. I'm not even gonna read what she does. If, if this is your first episode listening to this podcast, then you're just gonna have to look her up. Do you guys? Uh, are you guys like just just profit get the stamp of approval from you guys as far as like the? D- does it pass the when you play it? People 
we'll be okay with you test or people people groan they're like yeah. uh yeah but they, they don't t- actually just try come after and kill you i've noticed they just try and kill the prophet yeah. okay yeah because I, I still i like i i just recently put Prophet of Crucifix in my deck, and and look, I the power level's always been there, and I don't play uh, what is it called, Seedborn Muse or whatever either, awesome. because whenever anybody plays those, the game just gets like super stupid. But I opened a um, like a Chinese one of these, a Prophet, nice. and it looks so sweet. I'm just like, ah, oh, I got to play this. So I put it in, and I'm gonna sort of test the waters. And when I play it the first time, I'm gonna look around at the table and be like. Do you guys still like me, or am I? Because I feel like this is one of those cards that sees enough play now and is powerful enough that people are starting to get a little sick of it. I, I think the thing that people maybe don't grasp right away is like how many card draw creatures there are. You know, like yeah, basically yeah. what this card says for my deck is you take four turns. Yeah, yeah. right. Like it's because it, I'm I'm filling up my. Hand. It's not just that I'm getting incidental value from like I flash my guy in and now I block. It's not that. It's like nope. instead, it's like I'm drawing three or four cards on your turn, your turn, your turn, and your turn. And then and by I'm the way, I still them. get a turn too. And I'm playing them out of my hand. Yeah. Like it's. Yeah. I'm a little nervous about this one. I'm gonna I'm gonna run it because it looks sweet, and we'll see how it goes. But it's uh, too fun. It's too fun. You gotta run it, and you know it may at some point get get banned or whatever and, and that's fine it is very powerful it's reached almost like soul ring level of like for me like if i'm in those colors i'm just gonna put it in yeah that's what i like, feel like too powerful. i just feel yeah. like I, i'm compelled to so heck with it i'm running it she's in there but it is it is fun too it doesn't to me it's like not one of those cards that's oppressive it's not destroying people's stuff or anything like that like that would to me like if it if it was doing that and it was that level of power i might sort of shy a little bit away from it but it's it's not. It's allowing you to draw cards and play cards, but it's not inherently like stopping people from doing stuff. Yeah, but I but I've got cards like that. I, I've got I've I've taken cards that fit that description out of my deck though, because they still felt too like I took um, consecrated sphinx out of my deck. Yeah, and because it, it just felt like yeah, I'm not blowing up your stuff or doing anything. But like when you get that card out, people look at you like really, man, because you're just like, well, I guess I've got 14 cards in my hand, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like. I don't know. I think card just gets a little out of control, I think. Um, let's talk about some cards really quickly that you uh, might might think are good but aren't that great. Uh, like Cards like uh, Kodama's Reach or um, you know Ramp Sorcery Speed or even Instant Speed Ramp Cards or even like Exploration or, or stuff like that. Like This is just something to keep in mind with this deck is it's so creature-centric and you want all the cards off the top of your deck to be creatures as much as possible to trigger Animar that I would really stay away from. There's so many ramp creatures. I'd put a ramp creature in way before I'd put in something like Kodama's Reach or something like that. Yeah, that's a great that's great advice. Uh, rampant growth, any of those, those are all out. Yeah. I, I'm all wood elves and far haven elves and things like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, another thing I've seen on some lists online is stuff like Snapcaster Mage. I feel like that is like systemic of like a really big identity problem you're having if you have Snapcaster Mage in this deck. Yeah, it's a creature, but what he wants to do is play instants and sorceries out of your graveyard. If you've got enough instants and sorceries in your graveyard that Snapcaster Mage is good in your deck, then you might be building the deck wrong. Yeah, it just depends, I think, on how many counter spells you run, like actual non-creature yeah, counters. Yeah, that's true. That's kind of the, the number one target for those. There's also you know, some draw spells that people like to, to draw. I found that you can draw enough cards off of your creatures that you don't need to run like dedicated card draw spells, but some people still do. And then another card, and I'm only going to mention because there's a lot of people out there that think it just belongs in every deck that has red, is uh, Insurrection, which it's fine, it's a finisher, whatever, but it's not really 
It's not really, like, if there's a lot of creatures on the table, you're probably winning. You know, if, if, if the, the board hasn't been wrathed a bunch of times, then you're probably in a pretty good position because you probably are playing all your creatures and getting all your value. And then if the board has been wrapped a bunch of times, then drawing insurrection sucks. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I think that the, the one argument is, like, what are you going to hit with your Snapcaster Mage if you don't have insurrection? <laughs> <laughs> Go big. Because the, the first time you cast it didn't do enough. So let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, okay, so let's talk about what you know, what combats this deck? So when you guys are playing your Animar decks, what happens that you go, oh, crap? Uh, the first thing is when they kill Animar. Uh-huh. Uh, that is super annoying because the deck, while still plays like fun kind of value cards, is much slower and much less powerful. And that's mm -hmm. probably obvious, but it's it's worth noting that like protecting Animar is a big deal. Uh, another thing that I have decided in my deck to completely avoid or I shouldn't say completely, but almost completely avoid, is not being able to cast Animar on turn three or turn two. Uh, mm -hmm. I have no interest to battlefield tap lands in this deck at all. Oh, I'm wow. running as many fetches and duels as I can. Like, if I'm going to have one commander deck, I am casting this stupid three-color commander <laughs> on the earliest turn possible. So it's either turn one Birds of Paradise, turn two commander uh, uh, Animar, or, you know, like an elf and, and him, or I'm just, you know, land, 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 that guy. Uh, the only lands that I play that don't are a couple of um, colorless lands like Strip Mine and, and uh, I think I play uh, um, Maze of Vith, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. uh, but, but beyond that, like any mana producing land that I have uh, is going to be able to cast Animar. So that's a huge tripping point. I see people uh, get a little greedy with their mana uh, as far as like you know, playing some bounce lands or some things that just aren't that efficient at getting him down. And you need to have him down early. Like, Animar coming down early is how you get the ball rolling because you need to do a lot more. Like, some people play a commander that comes into the battlefield and just wrecks, right? It's like, right. oh, man, that thing's sweet. He does Animar does nothing the turn you play him. Like, he's just <laughs> like, hey, I'm a 1-1. What up, guys? And, you know, yeah. he doesn't really do enough. So, you know, I think that, you know, putting emphasis on getting him into play as early as possible is uh, one of the pitfalls uh, if, if if you're not doing that, yeah, I absolutely agree. It, you really need to get the ball rolling fast on Animar because if he doesn't, you know, so many other decks are that might be built for speed or whatever. Turn five is their big turn that they can start wrecking house. You know, and if if by that point you're you don't at least have, you know, you're not in first or second gear. You know, because some commanders like Kiki Jiki they jump out and they're already cruising at third or fourth gear. You know, they're able to do so much as soon as they yeah. hit the table. So it's definitely very important to get Animar out early and also just to make sure that you don't draw enough attention to yourself that people don't immediately go like, well, he's out. Let's do that. Deal with that first. Okay, guys, let's play. Let's continue to play our game while we wait for Marshall to get back up to five mana to cast him now or whatever. Yeah, yeah I got to work on that aspect. I'm so, I just do <laughs> stuff because I'm like excited about getting a bunch of value and then they're just like, yeah, we got to kill him. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, so that tells you when you're playing against Animar, like that one of the ways to disrupt that deck is to just kill him on sight the first time he's cast on turn three that yeah oh, it's, it's so hard without with this yeah it's interesting that you always want to play him on time because you know i would oftentimes not want to play him until i can protect him because i don't want to invest all this stuff and then they just you know get rid of him mm -hmm. um but well, that's yeah, why if you're playing again mostly so. 1v1 and 3v3 that or 2v2 two i'm an idiot if you're playing mostly 1v1 or 1v1v1 yeah. then uh, i can see where getting him out early is is actually a lot safer because you know, in those games, you've got a target at least more painted on you than than four or more players. Yeah. yeah. One of the other things that you really don't want to see it, but that you do all the time, are of course board sweepers. I mean, this is right. a yeah. heavily creature based deck. Now, there's two 
there's good news though. A there's three good news pieces. A, Animar's <laughs> cheap, so getting him back out isn't that big of a deal. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, B, you get to run counter spells to help mitigate the the damage from those, like where you can see like they can go for a wrath, and you can say, no, 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 no I got to keep my board state. I'm going to counter it. Uh, and the last thing is that since the card the deck is quite good at drawing cards, a lot of times when they do wrath your board, it's not like you're just on empty. Like, you're usually staring at four or five cards still in your hand, so you've got a rebuild plan ready to go if they do get a, a wrath in on you. It's not right. one of those decks where you're just like, well, we're all in, boys. Hope this works out. And then they wrath <laughs> right. you, and you're like, oh, we'll see you next game. You know, I'm just yeah, yeah. Don't build your deck that way so that you're ever in that position where, you know, if they board wipe, you're just dead because uh, this is EDH. Everybody runs a lot of board wipes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to be at a disadvantage given the fact that you are a heavy creature-based deck that relies on you playing the creatures from your hand and getting them on the battlefield, Yeah, but you can mitigate it quite a bit. And I'd say you definitely are the most obvious threat because, you know, some people might be just waiting to combo off and they only have some enchantments out, but when you have, like, seven creatures and they're all huge, you know, pretty clearly people turn their attention to you first. Yeah, well, and, and often you've gone first, right? Like, yeah. you're the first one to make an assertive yeah. play because your commander's so cheap, so you've kind of got that early attention. Yeah, that's what I would say about playing your commander on turn three. You're often going to be the default target then because nobody else has played their commander yet. So, But, you yep, know, if yeah. you're powerful enough to win at that point, then all the more power to you. And he is. Yeah, he definitely um, gets there. There's two other cards that uh, I personally, everybody knows I hate because of the Flicker deck, and they also work really well against this deck, which is the Torpor Orb and the Hutchwing Griff, mm-hmm. which um, basically stop all enter the battlefield uh, abilities. Which yeah. I am assuming would shut down this deck pretty hard. Yeah, it definitely doesn't yes. make things easy. You it, lose it a lot of value. Down, yeah, for sure. It, it, it's a big problem. Yeah, because Animar won't even get counters or anything, right? That's a. Tr- that's a. That's uh, a. I think it still does. Oh, no, it's right? cast. It's when you cast. Yeah, yeah it's when you cast. cast. So, so you yeah. still get counters. Um, so you do get to get some cheapness, but I mean, just like randomly thumbing through the deck, it's like enters a battlefield, enters a battlefield. This one mm-hmm. doesn't enters a battlefield. I mean, they're, they're all over the place, right? right. Like most yeah. cards enter the battlefield and do something. Yeah. And you're going to have trouble bouncing your own stuff to play it again, to really like get that counter count on Animar, like really jacked up. So, right. um, yeah, those, I hate seeing those cards, but you know, I would say like those cards are good cards to play uh, in a lot of decks because we've we've been talking about them a lot, which means they work against a lot of different uh, commanders. So uh, some stuff to look at. Um, yeah. Also, I would, I would think Tuck, because you mentioned that if killing Animar is bad, then putting him on the bottom of your deck is even worse, right? Yeah, you, it's not <laughs> like you can't win, but like I'd view it like this. If they get rid of Animar where you can't get him back or he's just gone, gone, you're mm-hmm. playing a value deck. And like maybe if you're yeah. playing heads up, then you can kind of grind out your opponent with like just by playing like, you know, mole drifters and counters and, you know, tempo plays and things like mm-hmm. that where you can kind of focus your energies. But if you're in a three or four or five player commander game, you're never going to be able to overcome the table as far as that, those right. advantages yeah. go and you're going to lose. Like you need the overpowered thing that, that Animar gives you, not just the value plays that the cards in your deck give you. Yeah, I will say this though you could always play your second commander in the deck, the Prophet of Crufix. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> and That'll probably do, right probably do pretty all right, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about countering their counters. So some stuff that gets around the stuff they're going to try to do to you. Um, yeah. Soul yeah. of Euphrexia. I, it's yeah, one of that's my new a new one cards. that's really great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, um, I hadn't thought of that. Just, yeah, it's just, it's just anti-board wipe. Yeah, Very I like simple. that. And, and, you know, Twice. air quotes free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, anti-board wipe twice too. I mean, you know, you do it once and then if they somehow get around it, then it's still in your graveyard and you get to do it again. So I really like that one. Uh, Cauldron of Souls is one we've talked about before for the flip, Flicker deck and I think uh, it works here. It basically gives uh, any number of target creatures you choose get uh, persist until end of turn. So, oh, that card, yeah. Yeah, it's a really good card to... I can't um, believe this card exists. <laughs> save, save all your guys. You can use it for group hug. You can save other people's stuff to recruit allies. And you can also, since you're bouncing your creatures back to your hand and replaying them, the, one, one, the negative one, negative one counters don't matter that much. So I, I think that card's really good to get around board wipes. Um, and then I think the deck really needs like a couple of... You know, normally this deck wouldn't want like necessarily spot removal or artifact removal that's not stapled onto an enter the battlefield effect. Mm-hmm. But but because of Torpor Orb and Hushering Grift, you may think about putting in, you know, some spot removal that can kill those things that isn't on an enter the battlefield effect. So uh, Nevermaker, we've talked about before, is a good one. It, it leaves the battlefield, then you put target permanent on top of its owner's library. So that could be one that if you bounce it back to your hand, Somehow uh, it'll leave the battlefield, and that gets around the torpor orb and the hushering grift. But right, really, right. like, really, just like you know, something just just says destroy artifact or destroy creature, and it's an instant or sorcery. I mean, we don't want a lot of those, but if they play a torpor orb or a hushering grift, you don't, you just don't want to be dead. Yeah, you're gonna need to find a way to. I mean, just having that in your quote unquote sideboard too isn't the worst. Right. Um, counter magic. Marshall already talked about. Oh, how many counters do you run in this deck? I don't know the number, but I run a lot. Like yeah, I, yeah. More I mean, I, I uh, here I'll, I'll thumb through and and I'll and I'll get you a number, but it ends up being like I, I run basically the most like just straight up efficient ones that I can. Um, you know, the cheapest. Like I run actual counter spell and uh, and mana drain as well. Mm-hmm. You know, just because cryptic I happen command, to have sure. one of those, and I run cryptic. Yeah, I also run um the draining Welk that we mentioned a little bit ago, the mystic snake. Um, I don't mm-hmm. run any counter spells that care about how much mana my opponent has because i found that those just suck yeah, yeah for mm-hmm. for commander like everybody's got infinite man. yeah i don't run packed um I, so i got a little bit of flack i guess for having counter spells um i do run uh plasm capture mm-hmm. um which mm-hmm. i think is super super sweet um and and I, I run Force of Will as well, <laughs> which I, I realize is maybe overkill, but um, I find hey, it man, quite useful. Yeah, I've got I've got a few of those. And so I, I felt like uh, it actually did have a reasonable place in the deck because uh, sometimes I have to tap out and draw a bunch of cards. Uh, and so I've sort of stuck sitting there, and you can kind of get people with it. Uh, I just, you know, some people get annoyed by counter spells in Commander, but I, it just... I don't really care. Like I don't. They don't bother me. Like I don't yeah. feel like I'm infringing. Like it's a one for one. I have to spend mana. I have to leave mana up. Like I'm trying to play counter spells against a table of people. Like I'm at a disadvantage here. I'm right. doing it just so that I don't get wrathed. Hopefully. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree. Uh, some groups don't like counter spells. You know, you just kind of have to play that by ear. But I agree with Marshall. Like it's part of blues. It's it's actually the signature part, part of, blue. of blue. Yeah. So if you disallow it, you're disallowing. It's be like disallowing. You know, red to do any sort of direct damage dealing stuff, or disallowing black to do to to play any creature removal. Like yeah. that seems kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, the yeah. last thing I would say for countering their counters is uh, tutors. Now it's funny because Marshall said he took all his tutors out. Um, I mean, in our group, people play stuff like hinder and they play some tuck effects, and uh, you know, you want to be able to go find your commander again at the very least. So I would run like survival of the fittest, worldly tutor you mentioned. 
um, Elad Omri's Call, which is another like go find a creature and put it in your hand yeah. card, stuff like that. My favorite, um, Fauna Shaman, I think is a great creature. Yeah, tutor. Fauna Shaman, which is the creature version of Survival of the Fittest. You know, uh, I, I actually do run uh, Fauna Shaman and Survival mm. as well. So I shouldn't say I don't run any cards that tutor for anything. I just don't run the pure, like gotcha. the worldly tutors right, and the yeah. mystical tutors and those type of things. Um, and I usually, like, I have an addiction. Like, I, so I realize that uh, every <laughs> single time, well, that's, yeah, that, I'm, I'm well acquainted with that one. Uh, this is a more specific <laughs> magic addiction. This is like, uh, I would, every single time I played worldly tutor, I would think of all the cool cards that I could get that would be really powerful, and then I would, once I came across Oracle of Moldiah in my deck, I would just stop and get that every single time. <laughs> because like I can never pass up the type of value, and I love the the tension of, like, am I going to draw a land? And when I'm just right. going off and playing lands and people are staring at me, just shaking their head, and I'm giggling like a schoolgirl. Like, these these are the moments that I like for, for Commander, so... Um, I usually just I'm end up searching there. that card up no matter what. Is, I mean, is there anything else you guys want to throw out there about how the deck plays or, or any other advice to anybody that's building the deck or playing the deck? Uh, I would say make sure you keep in some a, a little bit of recursion because you are going to get things removed. Um, like a Mirror Retriever is the worst card to play in this deck. Uh, cards like Genesis aren't the worst cards to put in this deck. Uh, um, yeah. Just things that potentially can save your butt. But the thing is, if you're, if you're playing the 1v1 with this and win on turn seven or six or whatever then you don't worry about that so much but i find in multiplayer games it's always good to have a little bit of just in, in a little insurance policy yeah i think if you're gonna run survival of the fittest and fauna shaman you almost have to put genesis in anyway so yeah, yeah it just allows you to go get that first and then go get something else and you can always get the things that you're dropping in your yard back so yeah, yeah that's exactly. good that's good advice yeah, and you know, it's you build this deck however you want. You know, don't, we don't have to follow exactly what we're saying here. There's just a lot of different and and find other cards. You know, we've we've talked about a few here that I've never heard of or Marshall's never heard of. There's a lot of other cards out there in the big wide world of Magic that can make this deck do things that I've never seen before. So don't be afraid to find those. All right, cool, Marshall, dude. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I don't know if we mentioned, but limited resources was really a big inspiration for us starting our podcast uh, to begin with, and it's absolutely it's, yeah, it's an it's a inspiration for how we format and how we think about like doing each show. So, so thanks and for that. We should take a moment to mention also the one for one Marshall, which is a new podcast you have going, uh, which is sort of an interview based series that um, has you going in depth with some awesome guests. So, can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, yeah. So thanks for having me on first, guys. I appreciate all the kind words as well. Uh, yeah, the one for one is uh, just a straight up interview podcast where I find people that I find fascinating and sit down with them for a little over an hour and have a chat. And uh, and hopefully the listeners also find whatever I find fascinating, fascinating as well. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fascination. Indeed. Yeah, well, I've, 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 I've heard the, the first two episodes and I, I'm definitely a big fan of the show. So I mean, it's a great I like that it's a, sort of a different format from LR and you get to really go in depth with people too, which is it's really nice. Yeah, that's great. It's, I got another episode coming out this week as well. I'm going to record it uh, tomorrow with an artisan bartender. Wow. Ooh. Yeah, nice. it should be interesting. Very cool. Um, cool. what's the, what's, where do we go to find that again? Uh, you can find everything at lrcast.com, but I also have a separate site for the one for one. It's just the one for one.com. And that's okay. spelled out one or the number one. Uh, it's the number one. Cool. And so we'll post all those notes, uh, links in the show notes below. So make sure you guys check out Marshall, follow him on Twitter. You have a blog as well on lrcast.com. And of course, if you guys haven't listened to limited resources and you want to level up your game in any way, it's, it's the place to start. 
Yeah, also Marshall writes for uh, Daily MTG. Is that right, Marshall? That's correct. Yeah, I write the limited information column about about limited for, for Wizards. And I know I've seen your stuff on, like, what, Pure MTGO and... I mean, dude, you're everywhere. Yeah, I do. I do videos. I do draft videos for puremtgo.com and gatheringmagic.com, and we've also recently started a new type of draft video for Daily MTG, uh, where we condense a draft down into a, an edited half an hour video. Yeah, right. I actually, I watched a couple of those. I really like that format. Um, it's just a lot easier to digest in that time frame. So, uh, kudos. Thank uh, I you. Think yeah. that's, I think that's a good uh, evolution or advancement in the world of draft videos. So I like that. Yeah, I'm down for that too. So you guys can find Marshall online at on Twitter at uh, Marshall underscore LR, and that's Marshall with two L's. So go ahead and say hi to all of us on Twitter, guys, and we'll probably say hi back. Okay, cool. And um, you can find Jimmy and I in the normal place. Again, we're always looking for suggestions for commanders we should spotlight in the future or even topics that you're interested in hearing about. Um, next episode, don't miss it, we're going to do a... Um, we're going to go in deep on how to teach new players to play magic. Uh, this is a, a topic that's close, near and dear to my heart. And we're going to do a spotlight on uh, Rafik of the Many. So don't miss it. And thanks again, Marshall. It was an honor having you on. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I'd love to come back anytime. Oh, right. All right. Until next time, everybody, peace. See you guys. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.